Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC on Fox 26, UFC Winnipeg, Robbie Lawler versus Rafael Dos Anjos. And Shaq, this is a little bit of an earlier card. We're going to be sweating fights at 5 p.m. this time. Yeah, you know, uh, I always uh, I always like sweating fights on a Saturday evening, Saturday night, whether it be a Saturday morning at 5 a.m. I mean, it is, it is what it is. Um, but it's a good card, man. We got Josh Emmett. Opportunity of a lifetime going in there against uh, Ricardo Lamas and Robbie and RDA, two former champions, one at 55, one at 70, both on the tail end, but they're both legends in the sport, and I can't wait to see it. And Mike Perry versus Santiago yeah. Ponzinibbio. You know what I'm saying? So those two are going to stand and trade until one man goes stiff. So, uh, And, you know, I got some bad news for the fans, you know, because we gave out back-to-back-to-back max bet winners on three consecutive weeks and now everyone's expecting the fourth and the bad news is you guys are gonna have to wait an extra week or two for the fourth you just got to be patient man don't you don't force any issues there's nothing you know we'll get into it on when we get into every fight but you know next week there's a huge opportunity and you just got to be patient and that's all we got to say about it we're going to end the year in a with the bang but before we do that Let's, let's do this whole card from start to finish, man. It's a good one. We got Jordan Meehan. He's minus 135, and the comeback on Eric the Tiger Silva is plus 115. Now, you know, it's funny. One of our fans messaged me and was like, you know, these two are going to compete for the for the quit belt. But uh, who you got in this one? Man, it's, a, it's a unfortunate, you know, to see how both of these guys' careers have turned out because when Eric came into the UFC, I mean, at one point, I thought he was going to be a champion. <laughs> I thought before the Fitch fight, I was telling everyone, man, he's going to smoke Fitch. Like, it's going to be quick. Just watch. And then, you know, he went in there and pulled that quit job off. And then, you know, he got knocked out by Dungan Kim, and he hasn't recovered since, man. The guy's always a habitual gasser and habitual, you know, quitter if he can't get that first-round finish. And, you know, this fight with Luan Chagas, he actually prevailed through that one. One and he, you know, Chigas was inexperienced, but this guy Jordan Mean, man, I think he's like what 26, 27, but he's really about 37, 57. 47 in fight years. I mean, the guy's been fighting since he was 16, and you know, his dad, he's he's one of these cases where you know he, he was kind of pushed in early because of his father, and his father had him taking severe ass whoopings at a very young age, and where he's seeing the uh, repercussions of it now, man. I mean, the guy's just complete shell of himself. The Bilal Muhammad fight, you could tell that if there was the old Jordan Mean. He might be able to win that fight, but the new Jordan Mean is completely done. You know, he's showing up with one corner man nowadays. You know, he's, <laughs> he's, cutting, he's, costs. he's cutting, he's just cutting costs. The guy really doesn't care. He's coming to get his 30K and, you know, he's looking to, you know, get his check. I mean, the, the Amel Mech fight, I mean, the second Mech hit him with the overhand right, I mean, Jordan just showed up and uh, the fight was over. So, um, I mean, this is a, as far as, you know, betting wise, this is a definition of a pass fight i mean how can you trust either one of these guys i remember i did one of the most stupid things in my life when i bet on uh eric silva to beat nordine to left <laughs> actually listen to this i actually parlayed chas skelly and uh to be to be darren elkins <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh eric silva to beat um nordine to back in my jobber days and that was a complete disaster so you know after that i was like okay eric's completely done man um but uh I'm going to take him in this fight just because I think that, you know, I think Eric still has that first round somewhat of explosion explosiveness. Like, I feel like he could beat mean to the punch. This fight is just a matter of who does what to, to the other guy first. Whoever gets off to that good start, I feel like, is going to win the fight. I don't see either guy being able to come back and win a fight. I don't see either guy being uh, able to come back, you know, from adversity. I feel like Eric slightly, slightly 
you know, has a little bit more left in the tank if he can stay conscious. But uh, if. it's if he can stay conscious. But I think Means a shell of himself. I don't think he's going to throw in those situations. So I'm going to take Eric. It's an extremely tough fight to call. I mean, it's basically a case where one guy has more heart than the other, but he's got a way worse chin. I mean, basically, Eric Silva is the tougher of the two, but he's got probably the worst chin in the welterweight division, man. And at this point, you know, when he's been knocked out as many times as he has, and you're going in there with a guy like Jordan Meehan who does have the hand fighting down, even if he is a shell of himself, I think he's going to parry. I think he's going to throw a left hook. I think he's going to catch Eric Silva. It's just that you can't trust a guy like Jordan Meehan because he doesn't really want to be there anymore. He's kind of being forced to be in there. You know, he's showing up for a paycheck. You know the deal already. He's got a kid now. He needs the money, you know. He retired the sport for a reason. and He had enough a couple years back. Tiago retired him. And he came back, he hasn't looked you know, anything like the old Jordan Meehan. But the thing is with Eric Silva, man, he just can't take a punch. You know, it was interesting how he survived the Luan Chagas fight because Luan dropped him a million times. It's just that Luan was kind of green. Luan didn't know how to finish a fight. If there's one thing Jordan Meehan knows how to do when he hurts you, it's finish a fight. So I think Jordan Meehan's going to knock out Eric Silva. But please, do yourself a favor. Do not bet this fight. Now, next up, also in the welterweight division, we got Nordin Taleb. He's minus 150. The comeback on Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts is plus 130. It's a good fight, man. Nordin's arguably the toughest French guy in the game right now besides GSP. And, you know, uh, no offense to anyone French out there. but <laughs> You know, Danny Roberts, his last fight against Bobby Nash, beautiful knockout. His fight uh, before that with Mike Perry, even though he got knocked out in that fight, I felt like he showed what he's capable of because in that fight, I mean, he was picking apart Perry with ease. It was just the fact that when Perry lands, we already know what happens when Perry lands clean. Everyone feels it. And, I mean, he was completely picking Perry apart as just his chin. And we saw his chin against uh, fuck it, uh, Dominique Steele in that fight. He got wobbled a million times in his last fight against Bobby Nash. I mean, yeah, he did get the KO, but the lead-up to that fight, Bobby Nash was winning that entire fight, in my opinion. It was close, but I felt like Bobby Nash was getting the better of the exchanges on the feet as well and the, uh, the wrestling exchanges. Um, Nordine is one of these guys where it's like he's got that tri-star point point fighting style where is it's a question of is he going to do enough like on his best day he can go in there with Santiago Ponzinibbio and give Ponzinibbio hell he could give Ponzinibbio fits but he didn't win he almost won he's one of those almost he almost did it but he's got some solid wins man he beat Lee Jing Leong beat knocked out Eric Silva when he was like a plus uh plus 200 underdog so I mean I wouldn't count the guy out Danny Roberts is a solid guy as well I'm passing on this fight just because I feel like both guys can win the fight I don't see any clear advantage for either guy I feel like Danny's a little younger. I feel like Nordine's, we're going to start seeing him, you know, start to age overnight a little bit. We're going to see him, you know, start getting a little more chinnier. But we already know how Danny Roberts' chin is. Granted, it was against Perry, but, I mean, that happened. So uh, it's a matter if Nordine's going to do enough. But I'm going to go with Nordine. I think he's going to win a split decision here. I'm going to go the opposite way. I got Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts. Look, I respect Nordine a lot, but I think people often forget the dude's 36 years old. And when Dana talks about fighters getting old overnight, this is going to be a prime example when, you know, Nordine looked amazing against Santiago Ponzinibbio earlier this year. And now uh, he might not look as good, man. He's definitely getting up, up there in age. But the thing I like about Nordine is that, like you said, he's got that tri-star, that tri-star point fighting style down. And in his last fight against uh, Encamp, man, I love how he handled uh, that newcomer, man. It was basically like a UFC fighter in there with a local fighter. And the local fighter is exerting a 1,000% 
effort and the UFC fighters just in there chilling that's basically what it was it was very fun to watch I mean he's at least for me it was man he's in there making the kid bite on feints and then he's hitting him with nice leg kicks the issue here man is we know Nordin's best weapon is that right leg kick and it's gonna be kind of hard to get off on that when you're fighting a southpaw he's gonna have to go to the inside which we know is easier to check and we know Danny knows how to check he trains with Henry Hooft he, that, that shit's gonna be on point and I hear people talking about how Danny's got a shitty chin. Why? Because he got knocked out by the number one knockout artist in that division. I completely disagree, man. And I know Dominique Steele knocked him down in the first 10 seconds of the fight. But look, man, Dominique Steele and Mike Perry have something in common. They're both short, stocky guys with knockout power. That's not what Nordin is. Nordin's a tall dude who's known for winning decisions. He's not known for knocking anyone out. He knocked out Eric Silva, who we already discuss that he doesn't have a chin whatsoever you know what i'm saying so uh, yeah big deal that you knocked out eric silva i don't think he's going to knock out danny hot chocolate if anything man i think when he tries to throw that leg kick because it's going to have to be an inside he's going to get countered with uh, that right hook straight left i think that danny hot chocolate you know i was kind of questioning if he was getting old or this or that because of the perry fight but man that's fucking perry man and uh you know he'd get rocked at the end of all the rounds but look if perry lands on anyone's chin you're gonna feel it it, it is what it is and uh since that fight, he came back looking way better. Now you can say, oh, it was Bobby Nash. But look, man, Bobby Nash had a fight of the night with Li Jingliang prior to that. Bobby Nash had a good effort with Danny Hot Chocolate. It's just that Li Jingliang and Danny Hot Chocolate, they ended this dude's chin. That's why when he came back against uh, you know, Keenan Song, he got knocked out in 15 seconds because Li Jingliang and Danny Hot Chocolate ruined him. But don't, make, don't let that make you think that during the Hot Chocolate fight that he sucked or something because leading up to that, there's a reason that that fight was lined close, man. That's because of the effort that Bobby Nash put against a, the very tough Li Jingliang. So... I don't see uh, Nordin dropping uh, Danny Roberts here. I see him trying to, you know, weasel his way to a point-fighting decision. And I just think that Danny Hot Chocolate has the shape to go three rounds hard. I think he's going to land the bigger shots. I see Danny Roberts taking the decision here. Now it's finally time to give out our first play of the week because we got Alessio DiCirico. He's minus 115. And Oluwali Bangbus is minus 105. So uh, what are you thinking, man? I think it's a uh, line incorrectly. I know Eric Alessio went to split with Gareth McClellan. And, you know, on the outside looking in, you know, for these people that claim they watch tape, but they really don't. If you, you know, just look at it. Yeah, he went to split with Gareth, which on paper is terrible. But if you actually watch the fight, you actually appreciate the fight that they put on because they both went to war. It was a life and death fight. Both men were bloodied. Both men were completely gassed. And they pushed through for three rounds. Something Oluwali can't uh, do. Something Oluwali cannot do. Oluwali is what we like to consider a front runner a quitter, uh, a gasser, a guy that really doesn't want to be in there. You could buy into all this bullshit on Twitter about him, you know, being a different man. He ain't no different man. The guy's a quitter. He's a front runner. He's got a two to three minute gas tank where he could possibly finish his fight. But the thing is, even in that first two, three minutes, he's moving around so much. He would have to catch Alessio flash style. It would have to be a flash KO. It wouldn't be. And the thing is, Alessio's patient, man. Alessio's not like Paolo Boricini just right in your face. So Paulo would give Aluwali those openings. Alessio doesn't rush in like that. And, uh, you know, his fight against Spicely, hey, so you got, what's that? That's going to happen here? <laughs> what's what's Aluwali going to hit him Hit him with a triangle from his back? That doesn't matter. So that's irrelevant in this fight. And that, Spicely feel, tapped out my head. Though. Exactly. And I feel like Spicely's one of these guys that's actually a lot better than people think. He's just that he has no confidence in himself. And he's ugly. <laughs> <laughs> like, Spicely's actually good. He just doesn't believe in himself at all. And, um, you know, 
Alessio, it is what it is. That doesn't matter, though. Like I said, Alu Ali is what we like to refer to as a quitter. And I know I've said that in the past with, like, Jan Blachowicz. But the thing, the difference is Jan, Bl- Jan Blachowicz, yeah, he's a quitter. But the thing is, Jan actually has the skills. Like, I've seen Jan take down D1 wrestlers a couple times. So it's it's different. Alu Ali, yeah, he took down Paolo. But it was, a, it was a half a takedown. What happened, though? The guy was moving around, moving around, moving around, gassed himself out with uh, within two minutes, and the fight was over. When he fought Cesar Mutanch, he dropped Cesar. Had Cesar, Cesar coming off a three uh, KO fight losing streak where he got knocked out three times in a row, and uh, he 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 ends up rocking Cesar and staring at him in his guard. He tries to land ground and pound shots, but he's so scared to get in his guard. And the second they got back up to their feet, the fight was over. Cesar knew he had him. Uh, Alawali threw like the worst right hook I've ever seen in my life, and he got dumped. And uh, Cesar dominated him from uh, from that point to the final bell. And I, like I said, I just think the guy's a quitter. I feel like Alessio, this fight is very simple. All he has to do is get through two minutes and he'll win this fight. I like his takedowns. Go back and watch that Boyan, uh, whatever his last name is, Boyan fight in Croatia. And I mean, yeah, he lost, but it is what it is. It was a close decision. He lost. Yeah. But he Although showed, he showed a point fighter exactly. that can go three rounds. But that, they went three rounds. You know what I'm saying? Him and Gareth. Yeah, Gareth's a joke. Yeah, Gareth can't suffer takedown. But what happened? They went three rounds and they went life and death. And I honestly think Gareth's hands are better than Oluwali's. I think Oluwali's boxing is super overrated. I think it's a myth that he's got like good hands or anything like that. Yeah, he caught Serafiano with a head kick. And Serafiano was completely done at that point, in my opinion. But like, I feel like his boxing. His good boxing is a myth, and I feel like the guy doesn't have what it takes mentally, man. I've been hearing, you know, stories from other guys where this guy's a habitual quitter in the gym. He quits in the gym. He quits in fights, and I think he's going to do the same thing here. I put two units on Alessio. I'm honestly considering, you know, putting more because when I talk to myself about it, I'm like, all I have to do is get through two, three minutes, and I'm going to run away with this fight. And, you know, it's going to be ugly. Alessio's not the best guy out here long term. Will he hang around in the UFC? Probably not. But the, the mistake a lot of people make is they think, they look at, when they watch tape, they uh, look at things from a long-term picture instead of short-term. The only thing that matters is Oluwali. Oluwali, like I said, he's a quitter, and I think Alessio's going to get the job done. I'm with you on this one, man. You know, at first I was kind of sketched out because I did watch the McClellan fight and it's like, you know, Alessio did gas out in that fight, but there's a fundamental difference when Alessio gasses to when Oluwali gasses. When Oluwali gasses out, he quits, the fight's over right then and there, he won't push through. When Alessio gasses out, he's going to push through and it's gonna he's going to fight on all heart. So it comes down to, you know, just survive those first three minutes, don't get knocked out, and we're going to run away with this. That's literally all it comes down to. Now... I know people like to talk about how, oh, he lost that decision to Boyan. Well, Boyan's a point fighter. Boyan's a guy that trains in elevation that can go all three rounds hard. We know Oluwali can't even go three minutes hard. Well, he can go three minutes hard, but after that, he can't do shit. You know what I'm saying? Oluwali can't go to a decision and win. Like, come on, guys. Anytime the fight goes past the first, he loses. And not to mention, uh, you know, we all thought Dicharico won, but then when you look at the geography, you find out that... uh, Croatia is a lot clo- is a lot closer to Serbia than it is to Italy. So now I understand why they gave Boy on that decision. You know, it was a little, you know, a little European politics. It is what it is, but that's not going to matter here. All that matters here is Alessio weathering that storm for the first three minutes. And the good news is, unlike Boracina, Alessio is not going to come right at Oluwali. He's going to be patient, and he's going to be able to keep that same pace that he has in the first round all the way through the third round. And you can't say the same thing about Oluwali Bangbosin, man, because, like I said, he... Right when the bell rings, he's going to come at Alessio. He's going to try to throw some big bombs. And after that, he's going to 
he's going to gas out because it's not a matter of his gas tank sucking. It's a matter of his uh, gas tank management sucking. His movement. Because the dude has literally, you know, zero pacing whatsoever. He throws everything he has in those first three minutes, and then he has nothing left. He doesn't know how to pace himself whatsoever. So, you know, it's not that the dude ain't running or things like that. I'm sure he is running. I'm sure he is working on his cardio. It's just his style. He's just very dumb about how he uses his his uh, cardio management. For example, you know the Paolo fight. You would think, how is he going to be Paolo Borrachini? Even though, realistically, he probably doesn't have any chance on that fight. But you would think he has to knock uh, Paolo out. So he lands a left, a straight left in the first exchange, and I mean that. Then he's shooting takedowns. He's trying to take Paolo's back, and Paolo's just laughing it off like, "Go ahead, bro, gas yourself out." And the second you know Paolo weathers that storm, the fight's over. And I feel like the same. He's gonna, he's gonna, he might even crack. He's probably gonna crack Alessio with a left hand at some point. And Alessio's nose might start getting bloody, but Alessio likes that type of shit. Alessio will eat that shit up for lunch. I'm telling you. And uh, you know he'll go, he'll shoot a takedown, and he'll he'll try to t- sub Alessio. Alessio with his uh, BJJ black belt. Yeah, let that sink in. He's a BJJ black belt. Who is? Alawalu. Are you fucking yeah, serious? Under who? Under. Look it up on. Uh, Hold on a second. He's a BJJ. If we, if we said Cub Swanson got his black belt on the internet or in a cereal Oluwali. box, where the fu- <laughs> fucking Oluwali got his in a he's happy gonna, meal? You he's know gonna what I'm try saying? To, uh, you know, use his BJJ black belt and tap Alessio because the guy has no purpose in there. A dude put 25 cents in a little fucking <laughs> machine and got his black belt. You know what I'm saying? You check up on Wikipedia. It says he's a BJJ black belt under some guy. You know, BJ Day Black Belt. <laughs> Dude ain't even a blue belt. But and you look. know what I'm saying? So, and it's just going to come down to Alessio fighting smart. I'm sure Alessio's aware of this. And honestly, man, I might put more, more on this now that I'm talking about it like this because I just know this guy doesn't have what it takes to compete in here. Yeah, look, you're 100% correct. I, I see a lot of people putting stock into the fact that, oh, Olawali took down uh, Boracina. <laughs> okay, well, let's talk about that for a second. So, what happened when he took down Boracina? Two things happened. One, Boracina got right back up, and two, Oluwali had nothing left because he exerted everything he had into those takedown attempts. So, you know, when people talk about him getting takedown attempts, I want him going for why, why don't you talk about how, uh, you know, what, what did he do with those takedown attempts? He didn't do a fucking thing with those takedown attempts except gas himself out. And then when, when the fight gets back up to the feet again, that's when uh, Oluwali starts, starts backing up into the fence and you tee off on him. You know what I mean? Look, I realize in the first three minutes that we're not the more athletic guy. We're not the more explosive guy. We're not the faster guy. But as long as we weather that storm, we're good to go. Now, I, you guys heard how Oluwali, you know, he did some work at a couple different gyms, a couple big-name gyms, you know, after the Boracina fight. Well, uh, turns out uh, Shaq and I got friends at those big name gyms and we wanted to find out firsthand what the deal was and uh what the deal was was that the dude was quitting in practice too now it's funny because my buddy that told me about this i don't even think he's watched oluwali fight before and the way he described oluwali in the practice room was exactly the way <laughs> we're describing oluwali in his fight which which was this is exactly his words he's like well he came out hard in the first three minutes and then he quit <laughs> I was like, oh, so he does it in the practice room too. And then, you know, I heard he didn't even show up to every session. I, you know what I'm saying? I, I heard one of the dudes, you, you know which guy, uh, gave him a severe ass whooping. And then, uh, you know, he decided to take his uh, quote-unquote talents elsewhere to another gym, another famous gym. And I hear uh, over there he was faking an injury. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So the guy is a mental head case. And listen, if he fluke knocks us out in the first three minutes, then whatever, man. I'm, I'm a long-term winner. It's not a big deal because I will long-term fade you, Bang Bosi. If you win this fight, I will fade, fade you your next fight, my friend. But 
I think Alessio is resilient enough. I think he's got a good enough chin to survive those first three minutes. And after he does, uh, he's going to start to take over. He's going to get that one takedown and, you know, in the middle of the first round, break him. And uh, it's going to be all sure. Then you're going to see Bangbosi running in with these uppercuts that aren't even set up from a mile away you know what i'm saying man you know this guy's a habitual you know ground and pound loser because you know uriah hall hit him with one ground and pound shot he quit and then you know the paolo fight after paolo uh caught that kick and put him on his back i didn't even catch the kick all the way through a kick and fell exactly so you know what i'm saying this guy's gonna end up beating himself alessio's gonna win this fight and uh then you know alessio will get his uh second ufc win yeah so i'm very excited i put 2.5 units on Alessio Di Chirico at minus 105. And I'm actually putting more on this as we speak. So, you know, uh, How much you I got feel on? like uh, I got two units on it just to win like 181 right now. And, uh, you know, I think I'm going to put another two units on it. Oh, shit. So Shaq's up in the ante, huh? Yeah. I thought I was the original. I mean, you know, when I think about it, I'm just like, all I have to do is get through three minutes and I win the fight. Yeah, look, I mean, <laughs> like, if, like, Oluwali takes us can, down and passes for three and rounds, us. congratulations. <laughs> yeah. You came a long way, my friend. You know what I'm saying? Congratulations. And you know, I know, and everyone listening to this knows that ain't fucking happening. And if you think that's going to happen, I don't even know what to say. So. <laughs> yeah, so that's it. You know, 2.5 units on Alessio. Let's see what happens. I think he's going to break uh, the young man. Now... I believe this is the light heavyweight division. Julian Marquez, he's minus 255. Darren Stewart's plus 215. I'm going to keep it short and sweet, my man. Look, Darren Stewart's one of these guys. He comes into the UFC. He fights Francie Marbajoso in Brazil, knocks him out, and then there was, you know, either eye poke, head, but whatever you want to say. So then he gets the chance to rematch Bajoso in his home country. And it's like, bro, like we're about to set you up with two highlight reel finishes. You're about to kick your UFC career off to a great start. And then he drops the ball against Francimar Bajos. And then uh, then they give him to uh, my boy Carl Roberson. You know, Roberson handled him exactly how you're supposed to, which is by knocking him or actually okay. tapped him out, which, which is basically by getting him out of there in the first round. And with Julian Marquez, man, you know, I heard he was brought in to lose to that Philip Haas jobber, and then he uh, knocked that dude the fuck out. And he's been knocking everyone else out that he's been fighting. Look, no money on the line. I think Julian Marquez is the rightful favorite. I'm going to pick him here inside the distance. Yeah, you know, I have to I have to agree. I mean, that KO of uh, Phil Halls was absolutely disgusting. I mean, talk about face plan. And uh, this guy, Stewart, you know, he came out real... Okay, sorry to interrupt you, bro. Remember before that fight when Cub Swanson was like, if I've ever seen a future world champion, it's Phil Haas. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard I've heard John Jones say that. I've heard a bunch of guys out of Jackson say that before. And, you know, it's so funny. Um, like, back in the day, I think, like, Black Zillions and Jackson's had, like, some type of beef about phil halls apparently he was like training at but that doesn't matter he was training at black zillions and like jackson stole him but it's unfortunate to see where that guy's going now but uh he lost to lewis taylor as well right I'm not, yeah but uh yeah i got marquez in this fight Stewart. he came out against roberson like guns blazing gassing himself out and that was a life-changing L, man so uh, i'm gonna go with uh, marquez in here man i think he gets it done inside the distance as well all right, well, Jared Cannonier, he's minus 185. Jan Blankovic is plus 160. Now, Shaq, we usually always fade Jan right. Blankovic, but Let's get into we this. usually always fade him against wrestlers. We know <laughs> earlier this year, Jared Cannonier was grinded out very badly, albeit against a top five guy. Now we're taking on Jan Blankovic, and uh, if you've seen the pictures, uh, Jan's, Jan's <laughs> dripping. That's all I got to say. Let's get into this one. Look. Generally, you guys heard me shit on Jan Blakovic, his last fight before Devin Clark. You know, going into that, Devin's a JUCO national champion. I'm thinking, just shoot, just shoot, keep shooting, make him work, make him work, gas, he'll quit. 
And, uh, you know, going into that fight a couple days before, I checked on Instagram and saw saw the body Jan, Jan Blakovich was uh, possessing, and I knew I was in big fucking trouble then. I was like, God, he's on, he's back. He's got his Meldonium levels uh, fixed now. And, uh, I mean, he took care of Devin Clark. He treated him like a fucking child. He took down. <laughs> he took, <laughs> took him down. He fucking subbed him. With a standing. standing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> And, uh, you know, I, I, I knew that, you know, being that fight being in Poland, that Jan was going to be able to, uh, you know, take his vitamins. And uh, he, he took care of Devin Clark. I lost, like, 2.85 units on it, I think. Um, and, you know, when I got this fight with Cannoneer, I could be an emotional guy. I could be like, fuck Jan, I'm going to fade him again. And maybe that is the right move. But the thing is, when I when I want to fade Blackovich, I need a, a specific type of guy. I need a guy that's going to shoot takedowns. And... I know Cannoneer is not going to do that. Now I'm not saying Cannoneer can't beat him on the feet because Cannoneer he is very athletic. He he does hit hard. I mean I think him and Jan got the same amount of knockouts. Um, and you know Jan Jan's one of these guys where he's actually very skilled. He's I'll tell you right now he's better overall than Cannoneer because Jan when he's not completely gassed. I mean I've seen him like I said earlier. I've seen him take down Corey Anderson. I've seen him take down Pat Cummins. I've seen him body kick Latifi. Body kick Latifi. Yeah, like I've seen him do things. It's just that in those fights he ends up you know putting his hands on his knees and completely gassing out. But you know I'm under the speculation that as of right now I feel like he's about to go on one of these little two to three fight stretches where he starts looking good and then he'll go back after you know they start uh start uh figuring out what he's on but i think with cannonier is you know the yon kudalaba fight was was you know real good he lost that first round came back and broke him in two and that could happen here because yon's a similar guy to kudalaba hard ass first round and next two you know they gas out but i mean he looked fine against Devin clark in that second round got the finish this is a fight i want to stay away from because everyone just Fade Yan, Fade Yan, Fade Yan. But then you got to understand that he's actually a better fighter than Cannonier overall. I mean, he's got better wrestling. He's got better jujitsu. I mean, I feel like when he's fresh, he's got better stand-up as well. It's just a matter of can Cannonier put him in situations to empty out the gas tank. And I'm not convinced that he does because he, he doesn't have that style to make Yan work. He's not grimy in the clinch like Corey Anderson or Pat Cummins or... Uh, uh, or Gustafsson, you know what I'm saying? He's not going to, you know, reshoot and reshoot. He's not going to make Jan sprawl, you know what I'm saying? He's not going to put Jan in a position to, you know, to make Jan panic and make Jan shoot. And I've seen Cannonier get taken out with some basic single legs by Glover. And I've seen Jan actually hit those takedowns before on Corey Anderson and on Pat Cummins with that, with that same single leg. So, um, you know, this is a fight I want to stay away from. Look, if I'm not saying Cannonier can't outstrike him. I'm not saying Cannonier can't knock him out. I don't think he is. I think this fight's going to be very close. I think this fight's going to go all three rounds, actually. Um, and like I said, I feel like Jan's actually the better overall fighter. So this is a fight I want to stay away from. Generally, I, you know, I can't bet on Jan because look at his history. If things don't go his way, what happens when he you know, puts his hands on his knees and he quits? So I'm not betting on Jan by any means. But Cannonier, I feel like... People are putting too much stock into his last one. I mean, who the fuck is that guy anyways, you know? Um, Nick Rorick? Yeah, who and like I said with Kudalaba, the Kudalaba fight is the guys that are, you know, Max, the, all the people I see Max betting Cannonier, that's what you want. You want the Kudalaba fight. You want, you want, you're thinking, you know, Jan's going to come out here hard in the first round and completely gas. And that's what I thought his last fight. And that's not the case. And I've been seeing pictures of the guy and... The guy's meldoniumed out, so be very fucking careful. I mean, the guy is fucking dripping magma right now. 
So what's your pick? You know, uh, I'll take Cannonier just because, you know, I'll never pick Jan Blakovich in a fight. But don't be shocked when uh, Jan Blakovich uh, gets the win here because he's in a, he's in a form right now where he, he's looking very scary. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, you know, I'm going to pass. I feel like it's the definition of a pass. This is what I call a trap fight because generally I'd be with you guys all betting Cannonier. I'd be like, fuck yeah, let's. Let's max bet Cannoneer. You know, it's going to quit. You know what I'm saying? But after I learned my lesson uh, with the Devin Clark fight, I thought Devin was going to completely make him quit going into that fight until I saw pictures of Jan before. So um, it is what it is, man. Uh, I'm going to take Cannoneer. I hope all the guys max betting Cannoneer win their bet. I feel like I understand where you're coming from. and uh, But uh, be very fucking careful. This is a very tough fight to call, in my opinion. I, I see... People very confident and cannoneer, and I understand why. Because you're fading Jan Blankovic. Like I get that, it. long term, <laughs> it works out. It long works term, out. that works. But Jan Blankovic's best moments far trump uh, cannoneer's best moments. And let's talk about his best moments for a second. Body kicking Latifi, a top ten guy in your UFC debut. When you kick a guy like that and he goes down, I mean that's a big statement. You don't just finish Latifi in the first round. That's a dude that went three rounds with Musasi. And also, I would say his other best moment not not even the Devin Clark fight we don't even got to talk about that let's talk about the Gustafsson fight man he fucking outstruck Gustafsson on the feet and dude closing the distance on a guy like Gustafsson who's six foot five who runs away you know you know it literally runs away you saw that fucking Glover fight you know what I'm saying closing the distance on a guy like that and landing the hands compared to you know 511 uh Jared Cannonier. not saying that you know the shorter guy can't win because the shorter guy is probably going to be the faster guy here but what I'm trying to say is that Jan Blankovic isn't going to have to look for Jared Cannonier, kind of how he had to look for Alexander Gustafsson. And he found Alexander Gustafsson. He just he got taken down by a much larger man, a larger man that also took down John Jones, okay, you know? So, and Cormier. <laughs> and Cormier, right? So, you know, man, it, it's one of those things where it's like, if I had a wrestler here, I'd be all over the Jan fade because when you get a wrestler long-term, what, it's a 4-1, and one, right? Right now, that's the record of him versus wrestlers, 4-1. 1-4. and one. One and four. I'm saying, like, if you bet against him with a wrestler, you'd be 4-1. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, yeah, so betting against him with wrestlers, it's got a 4-1 record. So, you know, I totally understand. But the thing is, Jared Cannonier is not a wrestler at all. Like, at all, man. I mean, he got grinded out earlier this year just as bad as the times when Jan gets grinded out. Like, I know Glover's a great fighter. I know Glover would beat Jan as well. But the bottom line here is that it's not like Jared has this big advantage in the grappling. Basically, what Jared's going to have to do is use his hands, man. He's going to have to go out there and outbox Jan Blankovic. Now, on one hand, I like the fact that Jared is kind of elusive in there with his hands, man. You know, I like the fact that when he was at heavyweight, man, he was the smaller guy, so he had this great footwork. He was so much faster than everyone. You remember when he knocked out Cyril Asker. And here at light heavyweight, man, I mean, his hands have been translating. You saw the Yanku Taleba fight, and even the last fight against, you know, that fucking jobber Nick Rorick when he outstruck him. And even though the ref... uh made that a TKO. It could have totally gone a decision, but the ref helped him get a TKO, even though it was a complete domination start to finish. But look, man, now we're taking on Jan Blankovic. Jan, who uh, has... He he, uh, got a new doctor on his staff. Let's just put it like that, man, because the dude's dripping, and don't be surprised if all of a sudden he looks like the best version of himself in this fight. So it's going to be a really tough one to call. 
as far as I'm concerned, you guys might be right. It might be easy money on Jared Cannon here. I just personally don't think it is because I know these two are going to stand and bang. The way I see Jared winning this fight is, yeah, I saw that <laughs> shit too, bro. I mean, I'm looking at a picture of Jan right now, and I mean, Jesus Christ, he's uh, shredded. His new doctor uh, <laughs> is going to win a fucking Nobel Peace Prize is all I got to say. But look, the way I see Jared winning this fight is first round's close, and then after that first round, when, when Jan starts to put his hands on, on his side and he starts to huff and puff, that's when Jared can go out there, start really outstriking him, start boxing him up, and go out there, win that decision, potentially put him put him out late. But the first round is going to be super sketch, man, because Jan's yeah. going to come out there blasting that body kick, and he's got a serious body kick, not just against Latifi. You saw the faces Devin Clark made when he got hit with that, and Devin Clark, you can say all these things about him, but the dude's built. You know what I'm saying? When he when he ate that shot, uh, he made the grimace. Yeah, Corey Anderson made the grimace. I mean, he starched Pat Cummings, but then, you know, he quit. And, you know, I, I'm, I see a lot of people bringing up that Igor Prokratz, right? Look, I completely get it. <laughs> the Igor, Igor the Duke made Jan fucking look like complete shit. Like, he had Jan panicking on the feet, and Jan was the, the panic wrestler. So I completely get it, but like I said... Maybe I'm putting too much stock into it. Maybe I'm not. But I feel like Jan's doctor is putting in some amazing vitamins in him right now. Yeah, 100%. So, you know, I was going to pick Jan just to be kind of funny, but uh, I'm going to pick Jared, but no bet for a reason, man. It's sketchy as fuck. I wish everyone luck on that one. Flyweight division. Tim Elliott is minus 260. The comeback on Pietro Manga is plus 220. Now, man, I thought we had a great opportunity, and we still might. But the thing is, Pietro Manga, he took this fight on a week short notice, and he hasn't fought in over a year. So, I mean, dude, those are two things not going in his favor. Because I know with a full camp, uh, we'd get Tim out of there in the first round. Yeah, man, you know, this is one of those fights like Gabriel Benitez where I'm going to be kicking myself in the foot because I truly believe that Tim Elliott is on the decline. And you know... He wasn't even that good at the He game wasn't game. on the... He, the guy had his losing record in the UFC. What's his losing uh, record in the UFC? Three and six in the exactly. UFC. So habitually, he's a loser in the UFC in the big show. You know, on Titan, of course, he can take advantage of those old Brazilians. And You know, real quick, sorry to cut you off, bro. People are talking about how Tim Elliott's the number two flyweight on planet Earth. <laughs> Let's, let, let, me, let me mention his UFC wins real quick. Jared Papazian, the green-haired guy, and Louis Smolka. I'm done. And you know, man... Those factors that you just mentioned, you know, with uh, Manga taking his fight on a week notice and he hasn't fought in a year, and before that, and the jet lag, and before that, I'm not worried about that at all. But you know, before that uh, last fight in Bellator, he was coming off a two year layoff because of an ACL injury. But man, I honestly believe that he's a better fighter than Elliot because I know Elliot's tenacious. I know Elliot won't quit. But when we talk about top ten guys in any division, especially at flyweight. We don't see too many guys going there and just get treated like amateurs. And when I say amateurs, the guy's game hasn't evolved. He's still the same guy that was in the UFC. I mean, you remember that Zach Makovsky fight where... Wait, talk about who treated him like an amateur. Oh, uh, Ben 10, and you know what I'm saying? But can, would Ben 10 do that to Sergio? Would he do that to to uh, Henry Cejudo? He couldn't would he even do that, that to Smolka. Exactly. When you get treated like that... And it was like from the opening exchange, back take, choke out, over with. You know what I'm saying? And Manga's got some serious jiu-jitsu credentials. I feel like he's better on the feet. It's just that 
on short notice to prepare for a guy like Elliot who's so awkward. Like, <laughs> I mean, his stand-up stand is laughable, in my opinion. That smoke fight, his stand-up looked atrocious, in my opinion. And, you know, maybe maybe it's due to because they're both so weird and awkward that, uh, that maybe it just looks like that. But I honestly think the guy's on the decline because yeah, even uh, in the lead-up to the Ben 10 fight in Wayans, man, I felt like... Elliot looks super drained by the weight cut. Now, I'm not saying that he's having trouble making the weight. I'm sure he'll make weight. The guy's as tough as they come. I know he won't quit. I mean, the guy took down DJ two or three times, but I feel like that might have been his final hoorah, man. I mean, he got cut from the UFC. He had to go to Titan. He, you know, won all those fights. Had to go through the tough show against all these new guys looking to take him out, like Shelton and Schnell. And, but we know the deal with Elliot. It's the same shit. The same shit it's always been. It's about... Him, he's always finding himself in bad positions. He's like a smoker, you know what I'm saying? He's always he's always getting his back took, and he's always getting reversed. But generally, against those type of guys, those young guys that are inexperienced, he gets away with it because these guys aren't, you know, they don't operate at that frequency. And I just got a feeling that Pietro Manga for this specific fight is. And I feel like, you know, on the feet... It's not that hard to beat Elliot, man. I feel like you just need to land the more effective shots because this guy is going to get his head popped back because he has no defense at all. I mean, the guy's chin is wide up in the air. I mean, his combos, like I said, are laughable. Um, you know, it's just a matter of is Pietro going to be, you know, can because I know Elliot can push a pace. I'll give him that. The guy will not quit. He will push a pace for three rounds, and it's super awkward, especially on a week notice to prepare for. Um Man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm definitely taking Pietro on this fight. It's just a matter I'm considering betting it because, like I said, I feel like the guy's on the decline. When you get treated like that by Ben Ten, I mean, I know it's Ben Ten. I know Ben Ten's a top five flyweight in my opinion, at least. Um, but the fact is, I know he wouldn't. Ben Ten wouldn't do that to anyone else. I promise you right now, he's not gonna do that to Formiga in Perth. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Him and Formiga are gonna go the fucking full three rounds, most likely, and. uh Man, so I'm going to go with Pietro. Um, stay tuned if I bet it. Um, I, I feel like the guy is very composed. I feel like he's got the right amount of experience. I know he's had the right surroundings. He's been he's been brought out to train with Frankie Edgar. He's been brought out to train with TJ Dillashaw back when TJ was at Alpha Male. Marlon Marais. Marlon Marais. He's been he's been in these environments. These the, these camps have bought him out specifically to train other with other guys, man. So I feel like he is on that level. I feel like he is on the level at least to be Elliot. So uh, we'll see. Man, it's so tough because of the factors that you mentioned. And it's interesting because those factors could just be something on paper. They might not even matter or they might matter a lot. So it's really about, you know, this is the end of the year. I'm playing it safe. I'm passing. But I think Pietro Manga is the better fighter here, man. It's just that when you take a fight on a week short notice, you haven't fought in over a year. And the last time you did fight, you were coming off a two-year layoff prior to that. So he's fought one time in four years. You know what I'm saying? Granted, he knocked the dude the fuck out in the first round, so that's exactly what you're supposed to do. Listen, this kid is skilled. His biggest down downfall is his takedown defense, but off his back, I mean, the dude's attacking with triangles. He can sweep. He's nasty, and he's a lot more technical on the feet and efficient and, than Tim Elliott. And you know, the takedown D, you know, I feel like a lot of guys on the local scene, like a lot of guys that come into the UFC, they like to play off their back. For Like, for example, Adam uh, Wade-Turek that fought Anthony Hamilton on the local scene, the guy flops to his back every other day, but then when, when it mattered when he had to stay up on his feet against Anthony Hamilton. He didn't. I'm not saying Anthony uh, Mangas, Adam, whatever his last name is, they're completely different people, but I've, I've, I've been seeing a trend in that. 
guys that like to play off their back on the local scene, they come to the UFC and they cut all that shit up. But the thing is, in this specific spot, I don't think it matters because Elliot has a very hard time holding position. I mean, the guy's getting reversed by Shelton, you know what I'm saying? They're just having scrambling fests, and granted, he's winning this, but Manga, I feel like he's uh, better than these guys. So, Elliot did this entire camp at the UFC Performance Institute, so, you know, maybe that's a good thing, maybe it doesn't even matter, but at least you know that he's not slacking on his meals, he's not, you know, he's, he's putting in the work, and who knows, maybe he's sleeping in and not putting in the work, but the dude's in there. At he the trained U- at the PIs for his last fight, so, it don't <laughs> matter. <laughs> Just gotta let the fans know all the factors here, so, I mean, look, he's at the UFC PI doing his thing, and, but here's, here's the caveat. It could be the classic letdown spot because you know for a fact the dude was super excited to fight oh, Scoggins. I'm sure he would have beat Scoggins. I mean, it, he would have got his ass whooped and then he would have rolled, uh, got a guillotine. I'm sure he would So, you know, he even tweeted that how letdown he was, that, you know, he was so excited about getting a fight of the night with Scoggins, even though you and I both know it would have been a performance of the night. But uh, he was really excited about that, and now he's fighting this dude, and it's like, who the fuck is this guy? And the dude you never heard of, he's actually a really tough guy. You know, he's undefeated for a reason. Now, everyone has to take that first L. This could be that first L. It's just that he's a lot better than Tim, but the question is, is he showing up at 100%? Is he showing up at the best version of himself? Because the best version of himself finishes Tim Elliott. It's just, I don't know what we're getting, so it's a gamble here. I'm passing from a bet for those reasons, but my pick is the newcomer, Pietro Manga. And real quick... You know, we talked about how Tim Elliott's three and six in the UFC, and look, I enjoyed his three wins. I loved it when he whooped Jared Papazian's ass. I loved it when he beat the green-haired dude's ass. The fight with Smolko was fight of the night. Great stuff. But who the fuck are those guys? You know what I'm saying, man? Those guys don't win in the UFC no more. And Jared Papazian, green-haired guy, ain't even on the roster. And, you know, so, and, and it was a good fight with Smolka. Now, uh, I'm going to go with Pietro Manga here. Now, next up in the welterweight division... We got Chad Lepre. He's minus 160. The comeback on Galore Bofondo is plus 140. Now, man, a striker's delight. This is going to be fun. What do you think? I feel like this fight is another simple fight that I have to pass on because I know Bofondo's explosive. I know his striking is serious. I know, but the guy is like, what, 34 years old, if I'm not mistaken? I heard 37. I could be wrong. Mid to upper 30s, you know what I'm saying? Um, so th- this is, you know, the tail end of his athletic career, and he's never seen anything remotely close to a Lepree. And I'm not saying Lepree is some fucking world beater, but Lepree's a good fighter, man. I mean, I know he he had his a uh, he had a little rough stretch where he quit against Ronaldo and um, the Ross Pearson fight, which I bet on Ross, but let's be honest here, he won that fight. But hey, he lost. And uh, you know, the thing is. If Lepre plays this smart and uses his Canadian wrestling, how you know if you're betting on Bafondo from that from this perspective, how do you know can Bafondo stuff for three rounds? Is he gonna get up from uh, bottom? Because I've seen him on the local scene at times not get up from the bottom. You know what I'm saying? And you know Lepre is a striker. Is he actually gonna go for it, or is he gonna try to prove a point and strike with him? Because if he does, he's probably gonna get knocked out. The thing is. If Lepre plays it smart, I feel like he's going to win this fight. And there's too many unknown questions about Bufando. I know that he's super explosive. I know that he throws some of the craziest kicks I've ever seen, you know, in his highlight videos and training. Um, the thing is, I'm sure he has been putting in that work, you know, wrestling. I know he trains with MVP, you know, but the thing is, it's just unknowns, man. So I have to pass. I'm going to take Lepre just because I've seen more of Lepre. I know what to expect from Lepre. I know that Lepre 
has tools in every aspect of the game to get a win. I've seen him take down OAM. I've seen him, you know, go to the wrestling at times. I've seen him take care of jobbers like Kamozi and T-Ball the way he should have. So I'm going to go with uh, Lepre. I wouldn't be shocked if Bufando won, but I can't trust the guy's takedown defense. He's never char- – beating Charlie Ward means nothing, in my opinion, you know. I mean, <laughs> he did what he's supposed to do. He slammed him on his head. It was beautiful, but – Charlie Ward's a fucking joke, and he's getting dropped by seven and 13 guys in Bellator. So, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? I mean, Razak Al-Hassan, like, KO'd that guy stiff in the first exchange. Um, so, I mean, like I said, it's just too many unknowns. But, look, if you're betting on Bufano, I don't blame you. You're, you're just hoping that, you know, the hype train, you know, rides you through this fight, and you're hoping the pre goes down. I've seen the pre take knees before by eating shots to Trinado, So, I, but uh, I'm going to go with the pre in this one. Let me ask you something. When's the last time Lepre took someone down? It's tough finale fight. Okay. So, against OAM. So he hasn't taken anyone down yeah, since, since OAM. Yeah. Well, I just got to <laughs> remind everyone, that's not the OAM we see today, just yeah. so you guys know. So just go back and watch that. Because yeah, OAM, we were thinking, man, this dude I'm, looks well, like I'm shit. T- well, yeah, I'm saying that from the perspective that I know he can do it. Did he take down Barbarina? No, I don't think so. Um, He might have, though. Um, I know he quit against Barbarina yeah, in the third round. Yeah, he quit the third round. He straight quit. Barbarina straight broke him in the third round. And, um, you know, the thing is, those guys have a aggressive MMA game as where Bufando is a sit-back type of guy looking to land something flashy and KO you stiff. Now, I'm not saying he can't do it. It's just that I honestly don't know if he can do it. He's never faced anyone on the priest level. Now, people are saying, oh, the pre ain't shit. And he ain't shit. The thing is, the guy wins the majority of his fights. He's only lost two fights. So... Um, I know that he can do it. He hasn't done it since, but I'm saying from the fact that is the game plan, I feel like if the game plan is to tie Bufando up and, you know, just get quick little takedowns, stay on him, tie him up, which he hasn't done, I feel like if he does that, he'll win. So you mentioned Alipri has two losses, and Bufanda has two losses as well, but if you look closer into those losses, they're the kind of L's where he axe kicks some dude, the dude went down, and uh, Bufanda went to follow up, and then he knees the down opponent in the face and gets DQ'd. That's uh, what Bufanda's losses are like, and that's part of the reason that I'm not betting on him here, because... I'm worried that we're going to whoop Lepre's ass and then fucking get disqualified with, you know, soccer kick him or something like that. Because Galore Bufano is totally that dude. And let me tell you something. Talk about an athletic freak. This dude's coming out there. He's throwing, you know, multiple sidekicks to the air. And it kind of looks like, oh, why is he doing it to the air? But then you see the dexterity this dude has. And then he spins and he hits you with the heel. I mean... The dude's absolutely nasty. He's a freak athlete. I think he's going to knock Chad Lepre the fuck out. I think it's going to be a devastating KO, but you bring up good points. If Lepre decides to you know, do some TriStar shit, try to take this dude down, we have seen in the past, like in 2010 when Galore Bufano got taken down, he wasn't really able to get back up, but he did have something good going for him. He was kind of composed. You know, it wasn't like a... You know, who's someone that... at Su- It wasn't like if you take down Sage Northcutt or Oluwali, right? It was a little bit better than that. He was more composed. But then I saw, you know, towards the latter part of his career, like 2014, 2015, you know, he gets that wizard. He is using his explosiveness and his athleticism to get him back up to the feet. When he has a little op- opening, you know, he was in bottom side control. He had a little opening to get back up to his feet, and he did. So... I feel like he has the awareness. It's just that, you know, that was on a much lower level than what he's fighting now with Lepre. But I feel like Lepre's a very lazy guy. And the reason I say that is, I mean, the dude has no business at 170. I know he just beat fucking Brian Camozzi and some dude that's not even on the roster. But when Chad Lepre starts fighting these real welterweights, uh, he's going to be in big trouble. Because if you go back and you watch the Brian Camozzi fight, just watch that and compare it to the T-Bot Gaudi fight, even though he missed weight for that fight because he's a fat fuck. But. 
what I'm trying to say here is the dude's a the dude's a little fat for welterweight, man. The dude has no business at welterweight. The dude's a lightweight. He's just too lazy to cut. And I don't really feel sympathy for that because once again, I, the example I always use: look at our boy James Vick, six foot three. If anyone's got an excuse to not cut to lightweight anymore, it's him. If anyone has an excuse to go up a weight class, it's him. And you're telling me, you know, five foot nine Chad Lepree can't make 155? I don't buy it for a second. I just think he's a fat, lazy fuck. And I think he's going to get knocked out in this fight. And then after that, he's going to get sent back down to 155. But if he continues to fight at 70, I'll fade him his next fight. The reason I'm not fading him here is because I'm really worried about that DQ, man. I feel like we're going to knock him down and then soccer kick him or knock him down and hit him with a, an illegal knee. Like, Bufondo's done that more than once, man. This ain't a one-time thing where you excuse him. Motherfucker did it more than once, you know what I'm saying? So don't be surprised when it happens again. And also don't be surprised if Lepree finds a way to grind out Bufondo, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's going to try to test the stand-up. I think he's going to get knocked out. But before... Uh, you know, that's my prediction, but I want to also mention that uh, Lepree handled Brian Camozzi exactly how you're supposed to. I really love that performance. Like, you hit him with a straight right to the body, immediately hurt Brian Camozzi. Camozzi starts backpedaling, and Camozzi covers up, and then Lepree uh, blasts like four shots to the body. It was absolutely beautiful. Puts him away. I was like, damn, Lepree's a vet doing shit like that. But then we've seen times like when he got caught by Trinaldo, and then he's pulling guard and, you know, letting himself get pounded out. He's straight quitting that fight. So... You know, he's a very tough dude to trust. I'm going Galore Bufano by KO. Now, man, the final prelim. We got Abel Trujillo. He's minus 200. The comeback on John McDessie is plus 170. Now, I know we usually always fade John McDessie, but the thing is, can you trust the vegan Abel Trujillo at minus 200? Um, you know, I feel like Abel should get it done, but I feel like Abel's also on the decline. I feel like... Uh what is he now, 34, 35? But, I mean, we know the deal with McDessie. It just takes one good little chin, chin, uh, chin touch, a gust of wind, and he does the chicken dance. Guy's been rocked several times in the octagon. Now, he's under the assumption that he's a new man now. Um, you know, I actually, my boy Emmanuel Sanchez is going to be in his corner for this fight. He's been living at Emmanuel Sanchez's house. And, you know, honestly, I just think that those guys are just putting more punishment on that brain. Um, Manny Sanchez... And that jaw, Manny Sanchez, uh, Anthony uh, Felder, you know, these I guys. Sergio's getting off Sergio, on him, too. <laughs> you know these, these guys are touching up that chin, you know. And the thing with Abel is why, you know, when it was lower, I couldn't do it is because Abel's that type of guy where, yeah, he has a very good winning percentage, but look at the guys he's beaten for a second. Roger Bowling, not in the UFC. Uh, Jamie Varner, not in the UFC. We know the deal with Jamie Varner. Uh, Jordan Ronaldi just wasn't ready, and that fight got very hairy. I bet on Jordan Ronaldi in that spot. I'm wait till you and, hear what Ronaldi's next fight is. That's all yeah, I gotta say. And uh, you know, and Ronaldi straight up broke him in the second. It was just Ronaldi was inexperienced, and he just he, he took the fight on short notice, and Abel pulled it out. Um, his other win is uh, Tony Sims. Tony Sims not in the UFC. Uh, that's it, bro. That's it, yeah. So, and you know the T bow fight, the T bow, the T bow fight. It's unfortunate that things uh, went that way, but he just got his life changed by uh, James Vick. I mean, he got broken from the opening bell, and that's the type of guy Abel Trujillo is. I'm not saying that he can't come back from adversity because he has come back from adversity, but we've seen him quit multiple, multiple times. I know he dropped Tony Ferguson two times, but James Vick to John McDessie, that's exactly. almost like a well, yeah, but that's a gift is, card. The thing is, like, I'm saying. 
I'm, I'm saying, I think he's going to knock McDessie out, but I'm saying, you know, betting on it, you have to be very careful because what if McDessie, I'm not saying he's going to be a new man because he's not a new man, but I'm saying what if McDessie has a little bit more confidence than in the past where he's letting some, you know, some spinning shit go or some sidekick goes and Abel gets hit in the way and he's just like questioning himself and because he has done that in the past. You think when Tony Ferguson fought Abel Trujillo that he didn't know that he was going to get dropped two times? He, I'm sure he knew he was going to get dropped and he treated Abel the way he exactly uh, the way he's supposed to when when Vic fought him you think uh he didn't know that Abel was gonna come in hard of course he knew that and he honestly ate the shots well I feel like Abel's punching power it's good but I don't think it's like one punch KO power I know he KO'd Roger Bowling 100 years ago Marcus Levesseur that was a beautiful uh performance that was a different Abel by the way exactly that's a different guy I feel like that Tony Ferguson fight took a lot out of him because he got I watched that fight yesterday and he got fucked up bad and, uh, um, you know, but I think he's going to win that fight. I can never pick Medesi in a fight. I've successfully faded him against uh, uh, against uh, Yancey Medeiros. And, you know, I would have successfully faded him if that French guy, Mehdi Baghdad, didn't go for a flying armbar. So that just shows you the level that Medesi's on. I mean, when he's arguably losing uh, Mehdi Baghdad, who's not in the UFC as well. I think the guy's completely young, but be very fucking careful because I got that feeling it's that type of fight where... I feel like Abel's on the decline as well. I feel like both guys are on the decline. I don't think Abel will ever see the good Abel Trujillo again. Not that he was even good to begin with in the first place. I just feel like he took advantage of a lot of guys that were on their way out, just like he might do here. But um, I'm going to take Abel by KO. But I would not be shocked. I'm not saying that uh, that McDessie's going to win, but I would not be shocked if this fight gets really hairy. I'm also picking Abel, and I'm also not betting it, but I'm a little bit more confident than you are, man, because... Look, man, this dude, Abel, even though we can say who he's lost, who he's beat, but look, he only loses to Khabib, Tony Ferguson, Glayson Tebow, James Vick. You know, those are fucking top guys, man, top 15 guys. And uh, basically, I think what I think is going to happen is he's going to charge forward, big left hook on that cracked jaw of John McDessie. I think he's going to put him down. I think it's going to be a first-round knockout. Unfortunately, this ain't the Abel Trujillo that fought Roger Bull, and this ain't the Abel Trujillo that put that clinic on Marcus Levesseur that knocked out Jamie Varner because that guy... I would bet that guy to knock out John McDessie for sure. But the thing is, he's declined a little bit. I don't know if it's USADA. I don't know if it's, you know, going vegan, you know, whatever it is, man. He ain't the same guy he used to be, but they say power is the last thing to go. So I think what's gone a little bit is his athleticism because you remember the freak athlete he was when he first came into the UFC. We were like, yo, this dude is fucking scary, but he ain't that guy no more. But he still has enough to beat John McDessie. I don't think John McDessie's got shit. I don't give a fuck if he's living with my boy Manny Sanchez. I Like you said, man. It's kind of like, uh, who was that one person that uh, was training at ATT last week that we shot all over? We're like, you mean to tell me this dude's getting beat up by Poirier every day? Like, who was it again, man? Like, there was a dude on last week's car where we were like... You mean to tell me that? Oh, yeah, the dude we faded, fucking Chris Gritzmacher. Like, the motherfucker was at ATT. It's like, oh, as if that's going to make him win the fight. Like, bro. Just like Alex Chambers was at ATT when she was fighting Nadia Kasim. It don't fucking matter. Yeah, so I don't care if uh, John McDessie's living in Emmanuel Sanchez. He could be training at Jackson's Alliance, Extreme Couture, Black Zillions, wherever the fuck. Uh, actually, another thing to mention, Abel actually left Henry Hoof, the guys that bought him up. He left those guys a while ago. He's training with Neil Melanson and... Um, What's the boxing guy's name? Um, I don't know, but I know who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, that guy. So, I forgot his name. Look, the bottom line here is that 
if Emmanuel Sanchez was fighting Abel Trujillo, oh. then uh, I don't care if he's stepping up a weight class. Then, uh, then, <laughs> we t- <laughs> then we talk about Max betting Emmanuel Sanchez, but this ain't Emmanuel Sanchez. I don't care if it's his best friend. I don't care what it is. John Mcdessey with a million broken jaws. We heard the quote a couple years back before the Yancey fight where it's like, I'm too small for a lightweight, but I'm too big for featherweight. I don't even think I belong here. Is think- contemplating retirement. Now this is, you know, he thinks he's got a second win, but he really doesn't. I got Abel Trujillo by knockout. Main card time, light heavyweight division, Misha Serkunov. He's minus 165. The comeback on Glover Teixeira is plus 145. Now, Shaq, we majorly fucked up on Misha Serkunov's last fight. I'll tell you why. So I faded him against Krilov. I knew that first L was coming soon. And then when he beat Krilov, I was like, well, shit, maybe I was wrong about this guy. And then the next fight, he gets knocked out by the very first punch against Volkan Uznamir. So, uh, man, I fucked up my opportunity to fade him in basically an easy money situation against Volkan. Now he's fighting Glover. Glover's plus 145. You think Glover's got what it takes to hand Misha his second straight L in a row? You know, it's funny. I actually faded Misha Serkinov back when he fought Kudalaba, when Kudalaba was making his debut because, you know, Misha's always struck me as the type of guy, just the way his body's built and the way he his face reacts to shots, that exactly what happened in that Volkan fight, I've always pictured that happening to him. I've always, he's always struck me, I don't know, maybe I'm completely wrong, he's always struck me as the type of guy that would go out stiff, or, you know, cover up, and not take a knee, but just go down like how he did against Volkan, and I know Volkan finishes guys in under two minutes, but if you actually watch the shot that clipped uh, Misha, that shot, I mean, what, and his reaction, his reaction, straight down, cover up, over with, and I've been waiting I've been waiting. I missed the. I was away for the Krylov fight. I would have probably faded him uh, against Krylov. But we know the deal with Krylov. He either finishes you, finishes you, or he gets finished. And Misha beat him to the punch. And not to mention that you know Glover is coming off a devastating L against uh, Gustafsson, where he got wobbled a hundred times. But that's Gustafsson. Gustafs. Misha's not going to run off and circle off and throw that uppercut off the jab like that. Misha's, <laughs> <Not at all. laughs> a, Misha's, Misha's what we like to refer to as a stiff. The guy's a stiff. And, you know, like I said, it's unfortunate I pass up on plus 335 <laughs> against uh, Volcan because I've always seen that coming. Now, in this spot, you know, the line has actually completely flipped. It opened up minus 155 Glover, and now it's plus 145. So all the action's coming on Misha. And, you know, it's interesting because I'm wondering if people are under the assumption that he's going to come out here and grind Glover to share because that's the way he generally wins fights. You know, he his striking's actually not that bad. It's just that the way he reacts, like, he makes these facial reactions when he gets punched. And, you know, I know he's he went to Thailand for this fight. He's been training at Tiger Muay Thai. He actually did some training with your boy James Vick for this fight. And, uh, Misha did? Yeah, and, um, in Thailand. I didn't know all that. Yeah, and, um, but the thing is, man, I feel like Glover's that type of guy. Yeah, he's old. Yeah, he's getting chinnier. Yeah, he's on the decline. The thing is, actually, I'm not even going to say he's on the decline. I feel like Glover's just maintaining. I feel like Glover's always been the same Glover. We know how to beat Glover. When he fights John Jones, when he fights the Anthony Rumbles, when he fights the Gustafsons, the top three guys in the world, of course, yeah, he'll lose. But then on his best day, don't forget about what he did to OSP. At the time, a lot of people thought OSP was going to run right through Glover. And I mean, he fucked OSP up. I mean, if you see OSP's face at the end of that fight, it was bloodied, battered, and he made OSP quit. And, you know, let's not forget, he knocked out the Bellator champion Ryan Bader as well. Face adversity on that fight. Bader cracked him hard early. Glover got wobbled. And what he do? He put Bader on his ass and he knocked him out cold. Beat Jared Cannonier early Cannonier this year. Beat Cannonier this year. He got wobbled in that fight, stayed calm. 
that's the difference between the two. When Misha gets wobbled, he just strikes me as the type of guy, that's it. He'll go down. If you can crack him, he'll go down. But when Glover gets hit, he ain't going to go down unless it's Anthony Rumble Johnson, the hardest hitter in MMA, arguably. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I feel like Glover is just going to win this fight because he he's tougher. And I feel like, you know, I could be completely wrong. If Misha comes out here and grinds Glover for three rounds, congratulations. I, I, I would have not seen that coming because this is a guy that also got taken out by Kudalaba in the first wrestling exchange. Kudalaba, they had, uh, he had double unders on Kudalaba, and Kudalaba actually got on top when he tried to go for the throw. And then Krylov took him down as well. So, you know, Misha, he doesn't strike me as one of these top five guys. Maybe I'm completely wrong. I could be completely wrong. But I actually think Gover's going to knock him out stiff somewhere in the second round. I think Misha's actually going to get off to a good start. I wouldn't be shocked if he cracked Glover with a straight left. But I actually think at some point Glover's going to keep the pressure on him and knock him out cold. I'm with you on this one, man. I've never been impressed by Misha Serkinov. And, I mean, let's not even talk about when, you know, Glover, I mean, when uh, Volkan Uzdemir blew him a kiss and knocked him out. Well, let's talk about when my next-door neighbor, Tex Johnson, tapped him out with a fucking knee bar. You know what I'm saying, man? And It's just one of those situations where I feel like kind of like Oluwale Bangbose is a front runner. This is a more skilled front runner. He's and, just good. He just needs to be brought out to light. Look, I can be completely wrong. He might go in there and smoke Glover. I don't think it's going to happen, though. I've seen Glover training for this fight. You know, I'm sure If he, he smokes Glover, that's only due to the fact that Glover is an aging competitor. Yeah, exactly. That's not due to the fact that Misha is a top five guy because he, he definitely he's isn't at all. Like you said, he's way too stiff on the feet and he doesn't react to shots well. He doesn't react to adversity well. It's just a case of is he too big and physical for Glover to share? Because, I mean, that fucking guillotine he had on Krilov was beautiful. So he's got some nice submission techniques. It's just can he get there against, I believe, a jiu-jitsu black belt, right? And Glover Teixeira, who's nasty himself. I mean, you've seen him choke out dudes with guillotines, and he had a very high-level guillotine against uh, James Tahuna when he trapped his arm. So the dude can't even fight the hands, and he's getting choked out. You know what I That's mean? That's the so, type of vet we're talking about. And, I mean, a lot of lesser men, let's just put it for example. If Gustafson would have hit Misha Serkinov that many times with those uppercuts, the fight would have been over in the first round. Glover has so much heart where Glover will not quit. You'd have to you have to put him out cold. You know what I'm saying? And another thing about the Gustafsson versus Glover fight, because I know everyone only remembers the highlight. They don't remember what actually happened in that fight. Well, let's talk about the first round when Glover went out there and slammed, slammed him on his Alexander Gustafsson. Let's so, also talk about in all the stand-up exchanges that Alexander Gustafsson would run away, like literally sprint. It's just no one talks about that anymore because they only remember the highlight. But, I mean, at the time on Twitter, everyone was like, why is Gustafsson running away? It's just the highlight real knockout made them forget about it. But the dude was literally sprinting across the octagon when he was facing Glover on the stand-up exchanges. And I'll tell you right here, right now, in half the battle, Misha Serkinov ain't going to be running nowhere. He's going to be right in Glover's face, and that's what's going to leave the open for either a right a right uppercut left hook knockout maybe an overhand right to a left hook because you know those are the two combos that glover likes so i'm going with glover Teixeira by ko here i've never been impressed with misha and if i'm wrong i'm wrong it's no big deal no money on the line for me here my only investment on this card as of now is alessio di because he's fighting the kevin casey of the fucking middleweight division now the new kevin casey you know it's funny because it's like Kevin Casey was that guy where, like, total quitter, but, like, he had a submitter's chance. Well, Bang Bosey is the version of that, except he's got a puncher's chance. You know, he doesn't have a submitter's chance, so he ain't shit. I really don't think Misha Serkinov is shit either, and we'll find out if I'm right or wrong. I've never had a problem being wrong. That's why when you're a long-term winner, you know, these wins and losses, they are what they are. You take them like a man and you move on, and that's, that's how we're able to produce those results. Don't put too much stock into things. Don't get emotional. I'm going Glover to share by knockout. 
And next up, the oh, the, it ain't the co-main event yet. We got to talk about the strikers duel first because we got Santiago Genchi Boa Ponzinibbio. He's minus 190. The comeback on Platinum Mike Perry is plus 165. I mean, dude, holy shit. You know, before this fight even happens, this is what people like to consider the people's main event. But now it's time for these two to do war. And uh, I have a feeling they're going to throw it out until one guy falls. It's a great fight on paper. Ponzinibbio. KO and Gunny Stiff and say what you want about the eye poke. That's what Ponzinibbio does. He gets away with it every fight. Get so ready better, for it here. So you better be prepared for it if you're betting Perry. He's going to eye poke Perry. He's going to stick his hands out. It is, it is what it is. It's the dirty Cuban Argentinian tactics. You know how those Spaniards do it. And that's what he's going to do. He does it every single fight. It doesn't matter who you are. He's going to leave his hands out. And Perry's going to be like, put your hands up, bro. And he's not going to do it. The thing with Mike Perry is, I mean, I actually gained a lot of respect for the guy fighting. Because uh, about a month ago when he was fighting Tiago, I thought he was super overrated. Because, you know, I saw the Juban fight. I saw, you know, the game plan to beat him. And it's, you know, very simple. You just need a guy that reacts well to the shots. And <laughs> apparently these guys can't react well to the shots because the guy truly has fucking devastating KO power. I mean, 100% KO rate. All of his fights, he you know, he's either knocks you out. Juban didn't, didn't fight in any... Uh pocket exchanges exactly that that's the way the you beat him that's that's how you beat if you can stay out at distance perry is very beatable now look i'm not saying that you know the thing that makes this matchup more intriguing compared to a lot of others i feel like a lot of other guys would beat perry and i think you know eventually he'll start getting more exposed but in this specific fight even though ponzanibio is better than those guys that I, the couple guys that i think can take perry i feel like this is a better matchup for perry because ponzanibio gets tagged in the first two minutes of every fight. Don't forget this guy got dropped by Sean Strickland like two or three times with jabs. Uh, his fight against Court McGee comes out getting tagged by Court McGee. And I mean, Ponzinibbio is very vulnerable early. It's just that when Ponzinibbio, you know, gets gets his eye poking game down right and, you know, finds his range, then he generally puts guys down. And that's a matter of this fight comes down to. Can Perry get to his chin early and let him and spook Ponzinibbio early or I wouldn't be shocked if Ponzinibbio did it to him because both guys have that type of power and you know I really wanted to bet Perry in the spot but the thing is I can't count out Ponzinibbio fighting smart because like I said the game plan to beat Perry is not very hard it's just how you react to the shots for example Danny Hot Chocolate cannot react well to the shots but in just the open exchanges I mean Perry's chin was wide open in the air no head movement at all Zero head movement, you know, the kicks to the body, the kicks to the head, the kicks to the leg, all stop stop him in his tracks every single time, just like Juban was able to do. But those guys are southpaws. I feel like you fade Perry, you know, against southpaws, not in this type of spot. I feel like this spot is too hairy. I feel like the exchanges are going to be too crazy. I feel like you fade Perry long-term against southpaws because the straight lefts, the body kicks, the low kicks, the head kicks are all going to be open because he has no answer for it. Those all make him... Those all make him, you know, stop for a second. So I'm going to pass, you know, um, from a betting lines. I'm going to take just take, take pawns um, just because I feel like, I feel like maybe, you know, he is, he is going to be calm here. I feel like maybe he is going to, you know, jab him first, then take him out. But I would not be shocked in the slightest if Perry took him out. Like I said, Ponce Nebio has been rocked several times in the octagon. I, I, I remember Ryan LaFleur not rocking this guy at one point as well. Um, so, you mean, the guy's been wobbled several times. Perry's got a tougher chin, in my opinion. Perry spooks a lot of guys, so he's got very good mental warfare, you know, in the lead-up to these fights as well. 
Um, so I'm going to go with Ponds, but uh, it's a pass fight for me. I'm going to sit back, enjoy, and see who uh, takes the canvas at first. Man, Ponds' eye-poking game is really fucking on point, bro. And, you know, I was one of those people that were like, you know, talking shit when Gunny was trying to appeal that loss. I was like, you can't get knocked out with an eye poke to the chin. But if you watch that fight in slow motion, bro, the way he sets up those eye pokes is what he'll do is he'll throw a jab. And then when he's faking the cross, he throws the eye poke. Yeah. Then he comes back with a left hook. So he'll mix in the eye pokes with his combination. For example, in that Zach Cummings fight, you know, I actually bet on Cummings there. And one of those eye pokes got through and Cummings' eye just swelled up. It wasn't actually from the punch. It was actually from the eye poke. Like, his eye completely closed because Pons, like, threw a straight right. And when he went to slip, he stuck it out there and Cummings was like, oh, fuck. And then fight was over. <laughs> Bro, his eye poke game is subtle as fuck. You have to go on Fight Pass right now. Watch that gunny fight in slow motion because, like I said, in the middle of his combinations, he'll fake a punch and throw an eye poke. So it's like a regular jab then an eye poke, then a left hook. It's kind of like, that's how he throws a one, two, three. You know what I'm saying? So that already makes me not want to bet against this guy because a lot of these dudes that get eye poked, the referee doesn't even give a fuck because they think it's an actual punch. Like you watch that Nordin Taleb fight. Nordin goes out there, wins the first round because you know, Pons gets tagged early in every fight, by the way. And then uh, Santiago set up those eye pokes and then he dropped Nordin, man. And the ref didn't stop it at all. You know, the ref didn't give him time to wipe out his eye or nothing. You know, he gets away with it. Same thing against Gunny. He eye poked Gunny and then he went for the finishing shot, landed up beautiful straight right which i mean dude his laser beams down the pipe i mean this dude can throw some serious heat with that straight right but he's able to utilize those eye pokes in the process and it's actually funny because uh his teammate antonio carlos jr does the same exact oh thing God. and they both get warned in every single fight and they keep doing it and it's funny i see them hitting pads with the same exact boxing coach so maybe i'm under the speculation of their boxing coach teaches uh his name's kelton kelton pintos or whatever oh, there's another kelton on the planet Ke kelson, shout out to my boy something, something like kelson or kelton one of the guys but it's not uh, it's not keaton right no no fuck keaton but uh <laughs> <laughs> keaton got his ass beat but um like i said man those eye pokes are very dangerous yeah, they really are. So, you know, back to predicting this fight. From a financial standpoint, it's dog or pass, but the reason that I'm leaning more towards the pass is because, bro, I'm worried about getting eye-poked and then eating a straight right to the chin and going out cold. But at the same time, Santiago leaves so many openings in those open in those first couple exchanges. I mean, you saw Court McGee tag this guy up. If fucking if you if fucking soft hands Court <laughs> McGee is rocking you, just imagine what Platinum Mike Perry's gonna do. So I'm actually thinking Platinum Mike Perry gets this upset here. I think he knocks out Santiago with a counter left hook. It's just that when he gets eye poked and the ref doesn't call it, and then he gets knocked out with a straight right. I'm going to be really pissed off. So for that reason, I'm passing from a bet. But my pick is Mike Carey via a counter knockout with the hands. And also, I want to point out Mike Perry's last fight real quick because everyone's under the impression that he was in there with some jobber. Look, just because there's an undefeated kid making his UFC debut does not mean he's a jobber. What it means is that he's green and inexperienced, and he was also in the wrong weight class. That dude's not a jobber. He was just a green prospect in the wrong weight class. And Mike Perry handled him exactly how you're supposed to handle him and bro that clinch work he had in there the way he moved this kid around in the clinch that was absolutely beautiful that was some vet shit you got to go back and rewatch that because he moved his head in the exact position that he wanted him in for the knee and one knee was all she wrote man it was a beautiful knockout and when you look at mike perry 
all his wins are by knockout. He has a 100% knockout rate in his wins. And that's not a coincidence, man. That's not something that you sleep on. That's not something you joke about. It's kind of like when we used to talk about Paul Daly, man. You know, these dudes talk about how they want to stand and bang with Paul Daly. And, you know, you saw what happened when Lorenz Larkin tried to stand and bang with Paul Daly. When you stand and bang with a guy like Paul Daly, when you stand and bang with a guy like Mike Perry, chances are you're hitting the deck. So, you know what I'm saying? I think Santiago's going to take a, a canvas nap. I'm scared of a bet for the reasons I mentioned. May the best man win. Co-main event of the evening. Ricardo the Bully Lamas. He's minus 275. The comeback on Josh Emmett is plus 235. Now, a lot of people think this is an easy contest for Ricardo Lamas. And it could be. He's the more experienced guy. But historically speaking, the short, stocky team alpha male guys have always given him problems. Isn't that right, Shaq? Danny Castillo, where does he train at? Team Alpha Male. Where does Chad Mendes train at? Team Alpha Male. So he's 0-2 against Alpha Male, and he's fighting a guy that trains And really? how did those two losses K happen? KO. And, and where is he? And Josh Emmett trains where? Team Alpha Male. His body type is what? Short, stocky, Short, stocky wrestler stocky with an wrestler overhand. with an overhand, right. <laughs> Just like Castillo and Chad Mendes. Now, I see a lot of people are saying Lamas is easy money, and I completely disagree. I actually feel Emmett a lot. Emmett's actually one of the dogs that I'm highly considering. And I know on paper it doesn't make sense. It, he's fighting. He's one fight in the weight class, and now he's, but he's actually got fights at 145 on the local scene now. Josh Emmett, UFC debut against Tuck, a 5'10 guy. Um... Emmett's actually 5'6". Lamas is actually taller than Emmett still, with him dropping to... Uh, he still has the reach on Emmett, dropping to uh, 45. And, you know, against uh, John Tuck, a 5'10 guy, he's fucking cracking Tuck in the first round. And, I mean, I'm telling you right now, Tuck regretted taking that fight within the first minute in that fight because when he felt the wind of that overhand right, he completely shit himself, and he wasn't able to throw. Now, I know Tuck has a has a knack for not throwing. But I honestly believe it was due to just the power of that. And now when we talk about Christos Giagos, Christos Giagos in the UFC was a guy, how did he lose his fights? Because he couldn't... He, decision. Exactly, decision. He kept getting wrestled by, you know, boring-ass Chris Wade. Shout-out to my boy Chris Wade, by the way, for beating Frankie Perez and cashing that parlay with Jimmy Rivera. Have fun, and, uh, have fun laying on guys and... Ring of combat or whatever you're gonna fight. And you want to fight stop, in the stop NFC? Crying, stop crying on me. I, I know some of my friends would love to fight you. Look, what did you expect, bro? You, you the, that's why I didn't bet him against Ruslan because the guy's a fucking boring ass fighter. But I, I took advantage of him against Frankie because I knew he was gonna fucking lay on Frankie, and that's exactly what he did. When you get cut coming <laughs> off a win, that's when all I five, gotta say. When you're five and two in the UFC and you get cut, you know what I'm saying? That just shows you how boring you are, and it is what it is, bro. You can't get mad about it. You gotta fight, and that's is a business. And you can't be boring as fuck and making union comments either. <laughs> you're always talking shit about the UFC and you're laying on people. He's like the John Chulish. Hey, he was 5-2. and two. Only losses to Rustam and Islam, but it is what it is. But, um, what was I saying? But, yeah, as far as Emmett, you know, so he's so used to, oh, yeah, Christos Giagos. You know, he gets laid on by, he gets subbed by Burns, gets laid on by Chris Wade. But, generally, he wins the, st the striking exchange. I just saw him fight an undefeated Russian Tysonov protege, and, I mean, Christos was teeing off on him on the feet. Just that, he couldn't stuff the takedowns. But when he fought Josh Emmett, Emmett gave him his fight. Emmett gave him the fight Christos always wins, which is a striking fest. And, I mean, Emmett had him on ice skates from the very first opening, uh, the very first overhand right. I mean, it was almost similar to that chicken dance that RDA hit on. Uh, remember when he fought Glayson Tebow? Of course. Yeah, that chicken dance where he was like... Same <laughs> night as uh, Hendo and Shogun. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? It was one of those type of chicken dances. 
And, uh, I mean, he did, like, three of them in the lead-up to the KO, and then eventually his chin just couldn't take any much. That's the type of power Emmett has. And that power really hasn't translated yet in the UFC. It just did his last fight, but I'm, I'm, ex I'm expecting him to put a guy down eventually. Now, when we talk about Ricardo Lamas, one of the best guys to ever do it. One of the greatest featherweights of all time. I mean, this guy beat Cub. When he beat Hatsu, Hatsu uh, Hiyoki, that was a big deal at the time. When he... Uh, Sub-Charles, yeah, the Jason Knight fight, um, the Charles Oliveira fight. I mean, the guys had great performance. The Eric Koch fight when he got that title oh, man, shot, he and he fucked that. Eric Koch up bad. And, you know, um, but look at the size of those guys, and look at the size of Emmett. Now, I know Emmett's short, but what's the blueprint to beating Lamas? You have to spook him with power punching. Max Holloway, you know, doesn't really have one-punch KO power, but the fact that he just kept Max standing Holloway on him. Max Holloway beat his ass. Holloway fucked him up bad. And you know what I'm saying? Because he stayed on him with the hands. But Max doesn't have that one-punch KO power. And I truly believe that Emmett does. It just, we haven't seen it yet. Be Let me comment on that real quick, because I know some fucking fan is going to be like, oh, but he only has three career KOs. Okay, real quick. In Danny Castillo's, like, first 13 fights, he only had about two KO wins. In Chad Mendes' first, like, 13 fights, he only had about two KO wins, too. In Josh Emmett's first 13 fights, he's got three KO wins. So, actually, he's done a tiny bit better than Chad and Danny did yeah. early in their careers. Exactly. So, you know, when I look at this fight, I feel like I truly believe Lamas made a mistake taking this fight because you're giving these guys that have nothing to lose the opportunity of a lifetime. Now, going into the night fight, I was a little skeptical because I was like, I wanted to bet Ricardo bad because like I said last week, you know my thoughts on Jason Knight. I've always thought he was overrated. I've always thought he was going to get exposed at some point because... When you look at his game, yeah, he's tough, yeah, he's scrappy, yeah, he won't quit, but the skills, when we're talking about the upper echelon of the division, they just, they're not going to, he's not going to be anybody up there. I'm not, I'm not saying, Lamas might come in here and take care of Emmett quick. I honestly don't think so, man. Like, I know it's out of the blue, like, I know he's fighting the number three guy in the world, but like we said, when, when Lamas was fighting Jason Knight, he's only maintaining, he's not getting any better, he's not getting worse, but he's the same guy he was five years ago, he's the same guy he was when he fought Aldo, he's the same guy he was when he fought Hatsu, I don't think he's the guy's getting any better, man, now, Emmett, after the tuck fight, he goes in there against Holtzman and has a completely bloody war, now, when you watch a tape on that, you would think, okay, this guy's not on Lamas's level, and he might not be, because him and Holtzman had a bloody, ugly, ugly fight, and uh, the, the shots that were being traded, though, can Lamas eat those shots? Uh, bro, and we're talking about Holtzman, I know Holtzman is, what, 10-2? and two. Holtzman's huge, yeah, Holtzman, he's bigger than Emmett. I mean, when he Holtzman's took Holtzman's going to end his career at 170, <laughs> let's just go like that. <laughs> Holtzman doesn't have too many cuts at 155 left in him, and when he were bigger than Josh Emmett, and, I mean, at times, you know, he, they were tying up. And imagine how many times, you know, when Emmett's on the local scene and he ties up with these jobbers and he just dominates them and he gets into the UFC at 155 and he's in the, tying up with Des Green, a 5'10 and a half, 5'11 lightweight that's fought at 170 at times. I'll tell you right now, Lamas can never fight at 170. <laughs> you John, can't even fight 55. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yuri knocked his ass out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's been in there. With, I know that. You know, skills is one thing, but I truly believe in certain matchups, the size plays in a factor here. And I feel like Emmett made the right move to dropping the 145. Initially, I thought it was a terrible move. I was like, bro, why? Because I actually, when I bet on Des Green against Rustam, which lost, but um, watching that fight, I actually gained a lot of respect for Emmett because he is a one-dimensional striker because he just throws overhand after overhand after overhand. But I actually like his setups on it, man. The setups, he fakes low, comes high, he'll mix in the switch, uh, like a switch step, like his... 
like TJ does and come with the right hook. So, I mean, he's got different setups to it. And now when we talk about Lamas, his last fight against Jason Knight, I honestly don't think, it was a good win, but I honestly don't think Jason Knight's on that level. Like, MMA math doesn't work, but I think if Jason Knight and Emmett fought at 145, <laughs> Jason Knight would be KO'd stiff in the first round. Um, you know, his fight against Charles Oliveira, great win, beautiful win. But we know the deal with Charles. We know that, hey, if you survive the jiu-jitsu storm early, Charles will quit like he always does. And then, you know, his fight against Diego Sanchez. Diego Sanchez is like 2-20. and 20. Diego Sanchez is 80 years old. Exactly. But, hey, shout out to my boy Diego for that awesome thing he did yeah, for that that's kid. Gr- that's great and all. You know what I'm Even saying? Even though that doesn't make us money. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I actually look at Lamas's last few wins, I mean, I don't. I hate saying that. You know what I'm saying? I actually think Emmett's the toughest fight. Well, real quick, because someone's going to say, well, what about Emmett's last two wins? Yeah, but the thing is, those are against, uh, well, Felipe Sergio, he set a record for knockdowns. And I know that Felipe historically. This is the first chance, well, I'll say this about the Felipe fight. That was the first time, Felipe is actually a very good fighter, but the thing on, the knock on Felipe is he beats himself. He finds a way to go to his back. But guys don't beat Felipe on the feet the way Emmett did. Who's Who beats Felipe on the feet? I know Philly That's didn't. True. I know his teammate Philly didn't. I know fucking Jared Sanders didn't. I know fucking uh, Goyito didn't. I know fucking all these guys, they beat him by Yuri taking, didn't. Yuri didn't, I know all these fucking guys didn't beat him on the feet, I'll tell you that much, is because, Pepe didn't, Pepe, you, you, <laughs> fade, you fade Felipe historically just because he always finds a way to go to his back, on the feet, the motherfucker is serious, and I mean, Felipe loves the stand and bang, you know what I'm saying, like that's what Felipe lives for, and all his losses, he's never been knocked out in his entire career, and Emmett fucking spooked him with the first right hand, just like how he did against Tuck. And I just feel like Des Green has such a long history of, you know, facing guys that size that he was able to re- react to the shots well. And that fight was very close, in my opinion. I thought Des Green won 29-28, but it was time for his first loss. Everyone has to take that first out. Now, Lamas, like I said, I feel like he's maintaining. Now, it's a big, it's a huge step up in competition. I mean, going from Felipe to fucking Ricardo Lamas, you know, a top five featherweight of all time, arguably. Lamas has seen it and done it all, but I honestly think this is the toughest fight for him on this stretch since the Holloway fight. I think it's a tougher fight than Charles because Charles is a quitter. I feel like Jason Knight's not on that level. I feel like uh, Diego Sanchez doesn't win fights. I feel like... uh, No one gives a shit about Eric Koch. No one gives a fuck about Eric Koch. Eric Koch... Eric Koch's completely dumb. My boy Dustin put a severe ass whooping on him that changed his life forever. Ricardo was the one that, you know, started off, and Dustin put the icing on the cake, and Clay Guida sealed the deal. Darren Crookshank. Darren Crookshank actually (laughs) sealed the deal. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So, you know, when I really look at Lamas' wins, I hate saying that, but I think Emmett's a tougher fight than all those because, one, Emmett has nothing to lose going into this fight, and historically... How do you beat Ricardo Lamas? You knock him the fuck out. And I feel like Emmett's due for a KO. I feel like it should have happened against Felipe. But like I said, Felipe is a fucking warrior when it comes to stand-up exchanges. Felipe doesn't shy away oh, from that's stand- just pretty simple. Felipe's exactly. got a better chin than Lamas. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I feel like, you know, the little shot that Mendez hit him with, we saw what happened. Lamas fucking face-planted and was out of it completely. The just same with one, Castillo. The same with Castillo. You know what I'm saying? Face-plant and out. And I feel like the same thing's going to happen here. I'm going to go ahead and say it. I'm going to say Josh Emmett pulls off one of the biggest upsets of the year. I think he knocks Ricardo Lamas out in the first or second round. And I think he changes his life. Now, look. If Lamas schools him, I wouldn't be shocked. I honestly don't see it because I think he's too big to hold down. I think that 
Lamas, I've been hearing him say that he's looking to finish this fight early. So if he wants to stand and bang with Emmett, by all means, go ahead. You might honestly see me play this because I just honestly have that feeling that Emmett's going to get this job done and shock the world. So I'm going to go with Emmett. Well, there's no debating that Ricardo Lamas was supposed to fight Jose Aldo on this card. And when you're getting up to fight Jose Aldo and, you know, you already lost to the guy, it's, pr it's probably the biggest rematch of your life. You want it so badly. And then Jose pulls, gets the title shot, and then they call you, and you have to fight this guy that you've never even heard of named Josh Emmett. You're probably like, oh, really? Like, Who the fuck is that? Like, bro, seriously? <laughs> he thinks it's like Jason Knight. You know what I'm saying? He's so like, I'm you might be under the impression that this is another easy fight. And as far as skills are concerned, Lamas is light years ahead of Josh Emmett, but the skill set that Josh Emmett does bring to the table, he's got two things going for him. First of all, you hit this guy with your hardest punch, you're going to break your hand. He's got one of those hard heads where it's like he's just a little <laughs> bulldog. He's a little tank, man. You hit that guy as hard as you can. You got to be careful. You don't want to hit him as hard as you can because you'll break your hand, man. And another thing that he's got going for him is he's a wrestler with an overhand right. Now, against someone like Max, against someone, you know, we'll fade his ass, but... <laughs> Lamas has historically shown a weakness against the short, stocky wrestler. The only short, stocky wrestler that he beat was Dennis Bermudez, and, you know, great win, unbelievable victory. But we all know Dennis Bermudez gets dropped every single fight, not, you know, every other fight, every single fight. So the fact that, you know, Dennis got, dra got dropped with a, with a jab and then got choked out, props to Lamas, but that's not going to happen here. The way I would see Lamas winning this fight is first of all, he has to avoid that big overhand right to the chin. And I understand that Emmett hasn't been knocking too many people out. He has knocked some. Not too many, but also he was in the wrong weight class. He was a fucking small-ass dude. He's a muscle head, but he was a little short dude fighting in the wrong weight class. He's five foot six fighting at 55. There's guys like Vic who are six foot three at 55. Okay, the dude had no business at 55, but he was getting by on his sheer athleticism, his will. I mean, the dude's a competitor. Something people need to understand is that just because you haven't heard of Josh Emmett doesn't mean that he isn't good because he's the same guy that's been in the training room with TJ Dillashaw. Been in, and, I, and I'm serious. I know since TJ, day one, I know TJ left Alpha Male, but Josh Emmett was there since the beginning. So he was the main training partner for TJ Dillashaw, Cody Garbrandt, yeah, all these amazing it. fighters that Alpha Male has produced. So he's been in there. He knows exactly where he stands. Now it's about that experience because we know for a fact Lamas is the more experienced guy. He's the more seasoned guy. And honestly, he's the better fighter. He's 100% the better fighter. He's better everywhere except one area. And that's the chin. That's the ability to take a punch. And that's where Emmett could totally ex exploit. The thing is, if Emmett doesn't can catch say, him... Can I say one thing, though? When has Lamas boxed someone up for three rounds? Besides Diego Sanchez, who does well, that was Well, that was the last time. I mean, not for three rounds, but what about when he knocked Knight the fuck out in the first round? Okay, yeah, yeah. But, like I said, I don't think Knight's... That was you asked yeah, when was the last yeah, time. Yeah, that was the last time. Yeah. I mean, look, man. It's about either... Emmett's going to land that big right hand. And Emmett, like I said already a million times, if you guys didn't get the picture, he's the typical Team Alpha male guy. You know, he switches his stance like these guys do. And it's all about the setup for the right hand. He's an, he's a wrestler with an overhand. That's what he is. He's got the exact same wrestling credentials as Ricardo Lamas. What is it, NAIA? Yeah, you know the deal here. So now it's about are we going to catch Ricardo Lamas or not? That's really what this fight comes down to. And uh, I think it's going to be actually kind of tough for, for Emmett to do so. But don't get me wrong. If he hits him with that right hand that Chad Mendes hit him with, that Danny Castillo with, hit him with, I don't care if the Danny Castillo fight was in 1992. It happened. It happened, and it's just that Very style. Happened. You know, because I hear people talking about how 
oh, when you watch tape, you should only watch the last three fights uh, that the fighter had. And it's like, yeah, you should watch the last three fights, but you should also watch fights where they're going up against the same uh, stylistic matchup that they're fighting upcoming. You know what I'm saying? You want to see how does he stack up against short, stocky wrestlers. So we don't just go to the Chad Mendes fight. We go all the way back to the, the Danny Castillo the, fight. The thing is, he was picking Castillo apart. He was picking Mendes apart until he got caught. So here it's about, is he going to pick him apart for the duration of the fight, or is he going to pick him apart and get caught? You say he's going to get caught. I'm going to go on the opposite way, but dude, it ain't going to surprise me one bit if this is that classic letdown spot at all, because when you're getting up to fight Jose Aldo, then they call you to fight fucking Josh Emmett. Who the hell is that? I understand why Ricardo, he's been fighting for 10 years. He's probably like, bro, like, listen, I, I don't even have to train every day. I could beat this guy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so if he's making mistakes like that, he's going to get caught. But knowing the kind of consummate professional Ricardo is, because he really is, he's a fucking absolute badass. Like, when Jason Knight was like, I took you seriously, boy. And Ricardo's like, all right, man, like, cool. <laughs> Ricardo, <laughs> Ricardo looked at him like he was fucking stupid. <laughs> Ricardo is an, an absolute badass, man. I, I, I love I love the way the lead up to the Knight fight because, you know, Knight, Knight really wasn't talking shit. But when they asked him about Knight, who had a shit ton of hype at the time, Lamas was not impressed at all. He was like, I'm going to go out here. I'm going to show you why I'm on a completely different level than him. And that's exactly what he did, man. Yeah, no, 100%. So, once again, it comes down to, is uh, Emmett going to catch him? And if he does catch him, is he going to put him away? Because, historically speaking, when Ricardo Lamas gets rocked, he doesn't survive. Except for, interestingly enough, except for the Max Holloway fight. But it's not like he survived and came back and won a around. Style, yeah. He survived and got <laughs> the absolute shit being out of him. But that's the champion. This is a different style. This is a one-shot-at-a-time wrestler with an overhand right. I'm going to say Ricardo Lamas by a very close 29-28 decision. Main event of the evening, Rafael Dos Anjos, RDA, he's minus 115, and Ruthless Robbie Lawler is minus 105, man, so shit, you know, Rafael, he's gone up to 170, he's made it 2-0, and out. and not only that, I mean, he ran through Neil Magny in, in a way where he kicked him one time, the dude fell, and then he tapped him out. Well, I mean... I know it's Magny. I know Magny's a little. He's a little. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that about him because Magny wins fights long term. But who took care of Magny like that? I mean, one kick takedown. Besides Mike Ricci, right? <laughs> <laughs> Mike Ricci fucking KO'd him stiff. But uh, and Serginio, <laughs> Serginio something. But you know, Robbie's last fight against Cerrone. You know, maybe I might have jumped the gun a little bit too bit. I thought. I thought he didn't look. I, I mean, I still don't think he looked good at all. I think he is on the decline. And, you know, like I was saying earlier with Emmett and Lamas, the size, at first, you know, after that fight, I was like, if there's one more guy RDA can beat at 170, it's Robbie, because I think that, you know, Robbie's on the decline, and I still think RDA can win the fight. But the size, man, RDA is so much smaller than Robbie. Just put it this way, RDA's eating food right now, you know what I'm saying? Full meals. I know Robbie ain't. Robbie, Robbie's cut down from... I bet you when Robbie started this camp, he was over 200 pounds. You know what I'm saying? And RDA is saying that when he's out of camp, that he's 195, 200. I, I just don't see it, man. Like, I just don't see how he'd be that heavy. Now, look, maybe he's right. Maybe he is 195. You know, maybe he he's did, 195. He's fat as fuck. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he did. I remember after the Pettis fight, how he was looking. I mean, he fucking, <laughs> he might have been 200 pounds right there. So maybe the guy just carries weight that we just don't see. And, you know, 
I mean, on his runs of the title, I mean, RDA is one of my favorite fighters of all time because I predicted this guy being champion after he beat Mark Bocek because the improvements the guy was making from fight to fight, and that was at a time where he was still losing to guys like T-Bow, where he was still, you know, getting his jaw broken by Guida, but ever since he got that titanium jaw, I mean, that titanium jaw has resurrected his career because he went from a guy that used to do the chicken dance on shots like those to walking through that type of shit now, so... You know, I mean, we just saw the fight with Tony Ferguson. I'll show you the difference between RDA and Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee's a lot younger and a lot less experienced. But, I mean, in terms of the beating that they took, I mean, Tony bludgeoned RDA. And RDA still won, quit. He still won the fourth round of that fight. And, I mean, that just shows you the type of skills. But maybe his body just could not maintain. Now, when we talk about Robbie and Cerrone, it was a... Honestly, I don't think that blitz was shit. I think the initial blitz, I think he did that because how do you beat Cerrone? You punk him out. You get in his face and you land straight left. Look what RDA did to Cerrone. He got him out of there in 66 seconds. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like he just punked Cerrone out in the first round like you always do. And, you know, he got taken down in the second and couldn't get back up, which old Robbie... Robbie's always working it. When he fought Hendricks, the two-time national champion, Hendricks was struggling to hold Robbie down. Cerrone's, you know, holding him down with ease. And, you know, the third round, like we said, Cerrone, both guys are on the decline. And Robbie, you know, was more active when he won the decision. Now, RDA, I feel like, is a better fighter than Robbie Lawler overall. I'll go ahead and say that. I feel like he's, you know... I feel like he's probably got less power because Robbie's used to getting hit by fucking Tyron Woodley and Condit and Johnny Hendricks, prime Johnny Hendricks, and, you know, Jake Ellenberger, guys that really fucking crack. And, you know, I feel like RDA is a better striker overall in terms of weapons when I talk about knees, when I talk about, remember the knees that, you know, got Cerrone out of there quick, the body kicks, like how he landed against Pettis, all in his prime. So I think he's got better weapons on the feet. It just comes down to the size. If... Is the size going to be too much? Is Robbie going to clip him behind the ear? But the thing is, RDA is RDA doesn't go down flush out cold. Like We saw the Eddie Alvarez fight. Eddie hit him with a fucking hundred million shots, and RDA just can't go down because of that titanium jaw. Like you mentioned last week on last week's show, that fucking titanium jaw fucking saves him from going down out cold. Now, can he take Robbie down because he's so much smaller? I don't know, man. It's the definition of a past fight for me just because I feel like Robbie's on the decline. Like I said, I don't think his win over Cerrone was impressive at all. I feel like, look what Till did to Cerrone. Look what RDA did to Cerrone. Look what Jorge Masvidal did to Cerrone. RDA, I mean, you know what I'm saying? So, it's a tough fight for me. I think RDA is a lot smaller. I'm going to go with RDA for the win, though. I feel like he's riding a super momentum wave right now because I honestly did not think, even though he beat Tarek, I did not think he was going to win that fight. I thought he was too small. I thought he was too small for Manny. Um, so I think I'm going to go with RDA, but the thing I want to say about that Tarek fight is, you know, a lot of people are, well, yeah, Tarek's done. But the thing is, name one guy that's taken down Tarek with a double leg straight up. You know what I'm saying? Story didn't. Dung Young Kim didn't. It's probably hasn't been since Woodley. Woodley, like in the UFC, name one guy that's, that's completely dominating from the belt. When he loses, when he lost to Story, it was because what? Story just held him against the fence and, you know, tied him up. He was more physical. When he lost to Kim, it was back and forth. I actually thought he won that fight, but because what? Kim uh, addressed the Rory him. fight. Yeah, too. you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, he got knocked out by Rory, but... but he won the first two rounds. Exactly, you know what I'm saying? Who's... But I'm just talking about wrestling-wise. Who's taking him down like that, like RDA did? RDA straight up took him down with a double leg. In the UFC, I've never seen that happen. When it, I've always admired Tarek's takedown defense, so that's why I bring that up. And RDA took him down like it was nothing, so... 
um, and the pace he kept. So it's a tough fight to call. I'm passing. I'm going to sit back and enjoy two legends of the sport. Robbie hits like a fucking truck still. The power never leaves. He's way bigger. So I would not be shocked if he came out here and took care of RDA and treated him like a little kid. But I honestly think RDA is the better overall fighter, the guy that has more left in the tank. And I feel like RDA is going to get it done. I'm actually going to say by knockout. What round? First. Oh, shit. Oh, shit, son. He's picking a first-round KO for RDA. And I agree with a lot of your points, man. I do think RDA is the overall better fighter. But kind of like we were mentioning with some of these previous fights, I think size does matter, especially at the highest level, man. And I know I was wrong, you know, in uh, RDA's last two fights. I, I felt like the size was going to be a big factor there, and it wasn't even against the tallest man in the weight class with the longest reach. It didn't, even, it didn't matter shit. He hit him with one leg kick, dropped him, choked him out. Rafael's black belt. Let's talk about that for a second, bro. His fucking jits is nasty, man. And uh, it's, uh, another thing I want to say, like what, uh, in the Tarek fight, he slipped. You remember when he slipped and ended up on his back in the first round? And, I mean, we were, we were watching his face and look how calm he is. He's just like, yeah, ah, yeah. don't worry about it. jiu-jitsu. <laughs> look, man, his jiu-jitsu is so on point. And uh, we know Robbie Lawler in the past. I know he was at 185 pounds, but a lot of his career losses in strike force were via submission. Now that was also a different Robbie Lawler. That was the kind of guy that was falling asleep at the press conferences that didn't give two fucks the guy he is now on you know his ufc run what he's like 10 and 2 in the ufc since uh since he came back man he's been absolutely destroying shit man and uh his takedown defense against rory mcdonald was that was the best sprawl i've ever seen in my life it's just is that the same guy you know rory made some accusations i don't know if that's true or that's not true but the bottom line is that robbie's had some life-changing wars the carlos condit fight the two rory fights even the fucking Woodley fight, which wasn't a war, but it was a life-changing KO. The two Hendricks fights, man. So he's been through his fair share, but he's so experienced in these five-round fights at 170. And he's also very good with the judges. That's something we got to talk about. So I know how you're under the impression that you know he just kind of blitzed uh, Donald Cowboy to punk him out. And that might be true, but I also think it's something to do with the judges because he did that exact same approach against Hendricks too. You know, to us, you might be like, oh, these shots are missing. But the way the judges are seeing it, they're like, holy shit, holy shit. You know what I'm saying? So I'll, I'm very curious to see if in this matchup, I know it's Southpaw versus Southpaw, but Robbie versus Johnny was Southpaw versus Southpaw too. So I'm curious if he comes out here and blitzes him off the bat or if he's kind of more patient like he was with Woodley. That, that's what I'm uh, curious about. I'm also curious if uh, Rafael is going to come with that forward pressure, start body kicking him, because it's going to be to a, I mean, it's still to the same side. It's just the way that Robbie's standing since he's southpaw, it's going to have a little bit of a different effect because RDA, the liver is not going to be completely exposed. We've seen RDA go right switch kick to the body as well, like against Benson. Who's another southpaw? He, he fucked Benson up, by the way. Yeah. Benson got his ass beat. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> he changed Benson's life. RDA was the initial guy to... You see the streak Benson Anderson's on. RDA is the one that started. Look, I agree. Overall, Rafael is the better fighter. If they if they compete in straight jujitsu, Rafael oh, wins. If they compete in straight wrestling, Rafael wins. In boxing, it might be a little yeah, bit different. But kickboxing, you can make a case Rafael could win. But now we're talking MMA four ounce gloves. It's a different animal. Oh man. And I know both of these dudes are gonna hit a wall eventually. They're both getting up there in age. And let's talk about the titanium jaw, kind of like we talked about last week. I have a theory that that's the reason he hasn't been getting knocked out in his last few fights because you remember when, you know, Clay Guida fucking 
tapped him out with a fucking choke that wasn't even locked in, broke oh, his yeah. jaw and all this stuff. But then he got that titanium jaw, and then he fights Glayson Tebow. Glayson knocked him out. <laughs> Glayson would have knocked him out if he didn't have the titanium jaw, but instead, Rafael did the chicken dance of chicken dances, but he still wouldn't go down. The next time he got hurt was against Eddie Alvarez. He did the chicken dance of chicken dances and still wouldn't go down. I think it's due to that titanium jaw, but now my question is, at 170 pounds against one of the biggest power punchers, not just uh, in the weight class, but in the UFC's history, because... Robbie Lawler is a knockout artist. I know that his last few fights have been decision wins, so people that are newer fans might not know that, but the dudes, they call him ruthless for a reason. He's got one of the biggest highlight reels in the history of the sport, so I'm questioning if he hits RDA with his hardest shot, you know, is RDA going to do that same chicken dance but not go down, or is this finally going to be that time where he does go down? So I feel like it's a situation where how are they going to come out in that opening exchange? Is one guy going to bomb on the other? Are they both going to be patient and respect each other? And then also, if this does happen to go to the championship rounds, what's going to happen there? Because we noticed that Rafael did slow down a little bit against Tarek in that third down in that third round. And one thing we know is that fifth round Robbie Lawler, that's not a guy that you want to fucking slow down against, man. I mean, you remember that fifth round against Johnny Hendricks. You remember that fifth round against Carlos Condit. Fifth round... <laughs> Robbie Lawler knows how to bite down. He knows how to get the judge's decision. He's very good at winning fights, man. So, shit, I really have no idea what's going to happen. I can't wait to watch as a fan. I'm going to pick Robbie Lawler to get this win. Now we got to hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself. Kyle, I know you're getting ready to bring home that 100K. How you feeling, man? I'm good, man. I'm ready to get out of the snow and head down to Miami. Man, it's funny you say that because I know the kind of snow you experience uh, is on a completely different level than what we experienced, but we finally had our first snow day in the last two years only a couple days ago. I actually think it's worse for you this year. We've just had a little bit so far, so it hasn't been bad for me, but it it is snow and there's not going to be any snow in Miami, so that's what I'm looking for, but it is crazy that you're getting it worse than me at this time. Yeah, they ain't calling us Hotlanta right now, I'll tell you that. But, uh, Kyle, I got to know, man, because, look, Eric Silva's taking on Jordan Meehan, and a couple years ago, I think this had the potential to be a fight-of-the-night type fight, but now so much has changed in the sport. Both the guys are kind of on the decline, but they're still both really exciting guys. I have a feeling that the winner of this fight is going to win inside the distance. It's just about predicting it right. Are you thinking of Jordan Meehan KO or an Eric Silva sub? Uh, this one, man, I, I would have liked to have seen this a few years ago, but now it's just I really don't know what to expect. So I would really prefer to avoid it if I can. However, you're right, it could end really early, so I might have to have it in some lineups. Um, so if I had to have one of them in a lineup, I think I'd rather go with Eric Silva because he's 7,800 on DraftKings. Main is 8,400. So you got to find the dog somewhere. I think Silva is a decent one that could get a finish and that would score highly. Um, so I think I would rather just avoid Maine and hope for that Silva sub. You know who's a dog I actually like? Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts. Uh, he's taking on Nordin Taleb. And look, Nordin, very technical guy, very sharp guy. But man, just stylistically speaking, I feel like Nordin's not going to be able to kind of, you know, do his tri-star point fighting game against a guy like Danny Hot Chocolate where, you know, Nordin's best weapon is that right kick. Nordin, uh, Danny Hot Chocolate is a southpaw. I think it's going to be hard for Nordin to get off on his strikes. It's an interesting matchup. I'm going with the dog here and I'm putting him on my lineups too, man. Yeah, I think this is another dog I like as well. Um, he's 7,900 on DraftKings, while Tlaib is 8,300. So if we can start off with those two dogs right there, it allows us some favorites later. Um, and Roberts actually has the better inside-the-distance odds, and he's the underdog. So I'll take that. 
and hope he can get the finish as well. And if we get two dogs to get finishes, then we're sitting pretty. So Jan Blankovic is taking on Jared Cannonier, and it's interesting because we usually look to fade a guy like Jan Blankovic when he's fighting a wrestler, but Jared Cannonier isn't a wrestler. Not, I mean, that doesn't mean that that Jared can't outstrike him because the dude's got some clean hands. It's just about this fight could get very sweaty. I see a lot of people overconfident in Jared. Are you also confident in Jared, or are you thinking maybe fade this fight? Uh, I'm not confident in him. He is my pick. Um, if I'm making 10 lineups, i got to have probably some of each of them. Uh, but if I'm only making one lineup, I think I would rather fade it. Just because, I mean, it's it's big guys. You never know what's going to happen with these guys. And Canyonier, I mean, he's only scored over 100 one time, and that was against Asker. So I don't know if he's going to pay off his salary of 8800 Uh You're right, man. Let's just fade it. So – I got to know how many points uh, Tim Elliott scored in that Lewis Smolka fight because they were scrambling all over the place. And now he's taking on this newcomer who's undefeated, but he's taking the fight on a week short notice and he hasn't fought in over a year. But real quick, can you tell me how many points uh, Elliott scored in that Smolka fight? 176 points. 12 takedowns, 14 advances. 176. That's crazy. And then he comes back in his next fight and scores one against Big Ten. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like the biggest contrast you've ever seen in DraftKings history? Yeah, it has to be, because the only other person that's going to score 176 is DJ, and he's never scored one point, so I've never seen anything like that. Wow, and 175-point differential. You said 176, right? Correct. Wow, that's uh, unlike anything I've ever seen. So, in in a way, you're basically telling me that when you play Tim Elliott on DraftKings, it's a gamble, because he's either going to fucking score a record-breaking amount, or he's going to score a record-breaking amount in terms of how low it was. Exactly. He's really the definition of a GPP play. He's boom or bust. Uh, He has a really high ceiling and he has a really low floor. So I think that's a play that you always want to look at in GPPs. But I don't know if you can really trust him in cash because he's 9,000 when Manga is towards the bottom at 7,200. So I think you you either avoid this fight in cash or go with Manga just to go as a punt and uh, afford some of those better favorites. But Tim Elliott is always in play in GPPs because he does have that 176-point ceiling. Not really see. I doubt he ever does that again, but he's done it before, so you never know. Um, but I just don't think you can you could fade this fight in GPPs. you got to have one of these two because they should score highly. Um, Elliott's the pick, but if I'm making multiple lineups, i got to have some of both. So, man, another dog that I was kind of eyeing for DraftKings is uh, Galore Bufano. He's taking on Chad Lepre. It's really interesting because with Chad Lepre, man, I mean, dude, he moved up to 170, but I didn't really feel like it was a case where, you know, he kind of needed to because the weight cuts were getting tough. I felt like it was kind of a case where the guy's a bit of a lazy fat ass, you know, because if you saw that fight against Chris Camozzi, the dude's got a gut, man, you know what I'm saying? And also before that, missed weight uh, at 55 against T-Bout Gaudi, who we know the deal with that. So now with Galore Bufando, who the dude strikes unlike anyone we've ever seen before. He's a total freak athlete. It's just there's a lot of unknowns. We don't know what happens if this hits the mat one time. But that being said, I know there's a good puncher's chance, a good kicker's chance as well with Galore Bufando. I'm picking him, bro. What do you think? Yeah, he interests me as well. Um, fight doesn't go to decision is minus 185. So I really have interest in both of these guys because they're both mid-range priced. We've got Laprise at 8200 and Bofondo at 8000 So I like both of these guys a lot. I think this is almost a must-play as well. If you're going to have one lineup, you got to pick one of these two. And if I am going one lineup, I think I would – take your side and go with Buffondo because he does have that first-round KO potential a little higher than Laprise. I think Laprise would look to wear him down, 
get a late finish, which doesn't score quite as high unless he's really racking up those significant significant strikes. So, yeah, let's go with Bufondo here. So, Lamas is taking on Emmett, and it's a super interesting matchup because, first of all, one can make the argument that it is the classic letdown spot because Lamas was getting ready to fight Jose Aldo, and then they call him and they're like, now you're fighting uh, this guy you've never heard of called Josh Emmett, you know? But the thing with the matchup, Kyle is that historically speaking, every time Ricardo Lamas has fought you know, a short, stocky wrestler with an overhand right from Team Alpha Male, he's gotten knocked out. You remember the Danny Castillo fight. You remember the Chad Mendes fight. So Josh Emmett could do something similar here. It's just that it's about banking on that one-punch landing because Ricardo Lamas is the better fighter everywhere. That's the bottom line. He's, he's more experienced and he's more well-rounded, everything. He's got every base covered. It's just about... Is that right hand going to land on his chin, and will he be able to stay upright if that does happen? Yeah, man, I think this is more of a fight to fade because Lamas is the most expensive fighter on DraftKings at 9,300, and Emmett's the cheapest at 6,900. And I think you're right. I think Lamas is the better fighter everywhere, and he should get this done. But is he going to outscore everyone else on the card? I just don't see that happening. So I would rather avoid this fight and maybe even go to Emmett just to save some salary if we're not going with Manga or something else like that. Um, but really just as a salary saver because, like I said, Lamas is my pick. Um, but I think this is just a fight to face. So Abel Trujillo is taking on John McDessie. I know a lot of people are going to put Abel in every single one of their lineups. And look, he should beat McDessie. McDessie is uh, basically completely done. He's on his way out you know, in a different kind of way, man. But Abel's a bit of a flake. The thing is, I know a couple years ago Abel would come out here and knock him out stiff in the first round. It's like, can we trust him to do that again here? Oh, man. I mean, he is my pick. I don't know about a first-round finish, but he is my pick in general. But if you think everyone's going to be on him, then that would make me want to lean more towards McDessie. If he's going to be super low-owned, I could see Trujillo shitting the bed here and uh, and somehow getting finished just doing something stupid. So maybe I, I won't be fading McDessie like I thought I originally was. You might have just sold me on him, and uh, I'll have to throw him in a couple lineups. But Trujillo is my pick here, so I'll have some lineups as well, but... I can't be like everyone else that you're talking about and having them in every one of them. <laughs> Speaking to everyone else, look, Serkunov, he's the favorite to Glover Teixeira. And look, I'm picking Glover Teixeira. I've never been impressed with Serkunov before. I've always thought, you know, he was a bit stiff on the feet. He's a bit overhyped. And I also question his resolve in there when things don't go his way. But I see everybody on Glover, and that kind of scares me, man. First of all, what's your opinion of this fight just in terms of a pick? Uh, my pick is Serkunov. Um, but... Being on Glover doesn't shock me. I do think this is a close fight. Um, man, I, I think you have to have it in DraftKings because it's minus 180 that the fight doesn't go to decision. I think you're going to definitely get a knockdown here, maybe multiple knockdowns, and that really adds up. So this is a fight I really don't want to fade, and I want to go both ways on. Uh, I think you could probably even stack it in cash. I doubt I would, but it's a sneaky stack in cash. But pick a Serkinov. So you think Serkinov's going to finish Glover Teixeira? Yeah, I think so. Probably knock out first, second round. So, man, the fight that, you know, that fans have been waiting for, everyone's champing at the bit to see this one. I don't even have to name the two guys. You know exactly who I'm talking about. Mike Perry and Santiago Ponzinibbio. Like, oh, my God. You know for a fact the winner of this fight is going to score a lot of points. You know, watch them just hump each other's legs for three rounds, right, <laughs> Kyle? But uh, you know the winner of this fight is going to win violently, aggressively, in a high-point-scoring fashion. But here's my thing with it, man. 
I feel like Perry's got the more power of the two. I feel like when Perry touches someone on that chin, they feel it right away. But Santiago, I mean, dude, he's slick with that straight right. And not to mention, man, you know, I was kind of shitting on people that, that were saying that he eye-poked Gunny. But then I watched the whole fight in slow-mo because, you know, it's only about a minute, a couple seconds, right? So I watched the whole thing in slow-mo. Bro, he eye-poked the fuck out of him multiple times. And I, I was, you know, I was one of the people that was like, you can't eye-poke the chin. You know, I was talking a bunch of shit. But then I watched it and he really did. And the, But the way he does it, Kyle, is not, he'll, he won't just do an eye poke and then nothing else what he'll do is you'll throw a jab and he'll pretend to throw a two and on that two then he eye pokes then he comes back with a left hook so it's like in the middle of his combinations where he'll eye poke and bro like i don't want to be betting against that kind of thing because if mike perry's getting the better of the exchanges then he gets eye poked i mean one straight right could end the fight i'm personally leaning towards perry i think he will find the counter but you know and on DraftKings, i like his price i know that if he gets a knockout he will for sure pay off his salary so for that reason i like him but you know as an honest man as a betting man i know that this is a 50 50 fight yeah yeah I, I love this fight i can't wait for this one another stackable fight in cash um in a fight that you have to be on in gpps especially if you're liking perry because he scores over 100 in all of his wins, and I don't see that changing here if he gets the W. Uh, and he's only priced at 7,500 on DraftKings, so technically he only needs 75 points, but if he wins, he's probably getting like 115, and he will have to be on your lineup in order for you to win money. So I think he will be popular, but for good reason. Uh, but my pick is Ponzinibbio here. I think uh, he's going to end up getting it done. Uh, so I'm going to have... Definitely both of these guys in lineups, but Ponzi is my pick, and I think it's a second-round TKO, and I might even stack this one in cash. Now, real quick, when you're talking about stacking, you mean putting them both in the exact same lineup, correct? Correct, yeah. Cash only, though, so that's like my head-to-heads, 50-50s, double-ups. I wouldn't do that in like the $8 where you're trying to win 10 k So, yeah, when I talk about stacks, it's strictly for cash games, meaning your head-to-heads, 50-50s. Kyle, look, I know you're the guy that's competing for the 100K this weekend, but I want to play a devil's advocate here for a second, man, because I feel like, look, you bring a great point. If this is a fight of the night war, hell yeah, stack both guys. But I have a feeling the winner's going to win by devastating knockout, and the loser's only going to score, what, 1 to 10 points. So that's why I'm kind of scared to stack it, man. Uh, well, the way I look at it is in cash games, <clears throat> I, I need four wins most of the time. Four wins will get it done. So in this one, you're locking up one win, plus you're locking up over 100 points. So that's what I like. I would like 120 points at least in a stack. So if I can get a first-round finish, that's 90. A knockdown, that's with it. That's another 10. And then however many strikes are thrown between the two of them, uh, it just adds up, and it's just safe in cash because you don't have to have six wins in cash games to cash. You don't need to be first. You just need to be top half. Big Marley, ladies and gentlemen. All right, well, Kyle, last fight, man, the main event. Robbie Lawler's taking on Dos Anjos. Do you think finally, you know, Dos Anjos is going to run into a real welterweight feel the size difference? Or, man, is he going to keep up this great streak because he's absolutely been running through the two guys he fought at 170 so far? Dude, I'm, I have no idea. I am uh, struggling on this fight right now. I've gone back and forth. Right now I'm thinking Lawler gets it done. But, man, I'm not confident in it. I'm hoping I can really get confident in the next few days, and I think I would rather just bet it because they are the same price at 8100 So I feel like if I'm going to throw them in a GPP, I have to make two lineups and have one of them with RDA and the other one with Lawler. And I really don't want to do that. So I think I would rather just get my investment in with a bet on one of the two. Maybe if, uh, if the odds move and I can get some plus money um, on either one of them, really. But... 
I just think I want to avoid this because I know both are going to be popular. It might not score over 100, so I don't know if you have to have this in your fight. And since I'm having a a hard time picking a winner, I think I'm just going to try to avoid it, and I hope for a good fight. Well, Kyle, that's why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battle. Best of luck this weekend. Bring home that 100K. Way to represent the only MMA betting podcast where all three hosts are third-party tracked. And more importantly, Kyle, all three hosts are long-term winners. Kyle, bring home that 100K, brother, and uh, best of luck, my man. Thanks, buddy, man. I'll talk to you next week. Yes, sir. Talk soon. And, man, Kyle Marley, you know, it's funny. We're talking about 10K. We're talking about 20K. Now this dude's in this tournament. He could potentially be bringing home 100K this weekend. When you're bringing in multiple sixes, I mean, what can you say? Marley's the best in the game. Hard work, determination. That's why he uh, succeeds. Exactly, man, and it's uh, awesome. You know, it's funny because I see a lot of shows, and I'm I'm glad that everyone's analyzing fights, giving out their picks, doing their thing, but Half the Battle is the only show where the three members, the three co-hosts, the three hosts are all tracked by third parties, and more importantly, we're all winners. You know, it is what it is. We're giving you constant, consistent max bet winners, dating back to Alex White, dating back to Randy Brown, dating back to Jan Zonin, dating, dating back, back to Davi Ramos. Dating back to Conor McGregor versus Chad Mendes. <laughs> <laughs> Razak Al-Hassan. Well, you know, just in the recent, you know, six, five months, we're giving you these winners, you know. We're telling Davi. you to load up Davi Ramos, easy money last week. Yeah, it got a little hairy, but the fight. We Let's be honest fight. here. It's a fight. You're going to get hit. I mean, yeah, Randy Brown got reversed by Mickey, but guess what? I he got care. a center. I don't care how hairy it got. You know, I don't care about <laughs> winning or losing. You know, I see these some of these YouTube comments telling me, you know, that wasn't a max bet. like. But it was. But we max bet. Well, uh, pretty sure I put 10 units <laughs> and, and it won. So, um, you know, I'm not being cocky or anything. It's just, you know, you got to look for these opportunities. You know, you can't be playing five and six things on a different card. Honestly, you should really be playing one or two. It might work once or twice, yeah, but long term it ain't going to work. Long term it'll uh, it'll Long term, it ain't gonna work, but it'll work once or twice. You'll know you get lucky. The parlays, you know, we don't do parlays at half the battle because parlays long term don't win. You just saw me lose one with a, a couple weeks ago with Adam, Adam and Will Brooks. <laughs> Will Brooks was gonna whoop like Nick Lance's ass, and turns out the guy's completely done. So that's why you can't bet on these minus. For example, this weekend, like I see, I already, I can already tell you the trap right now. The trap's gonna be fucking. Tim Elliott or fucking, you know. That. What about fucking, let's talk about really obvious chalk that was supposed to hit. Joanna against Rose. Yeah, exactly. Fucking Adriana Martins against Cajun Johnson. Exactly. Bibula Tov against Moraga. Exactly. We're not We're not giving you minus 300s like, you know. Uh, you know. <laughs> I mean, look, man. I've learned my lessons about playing that shit. <laughs> yeah. And that's why, for the most part, we don't. And when we do, we, we have to take L's and learn yeah. from it. I'm sure, like, you know, people that pay for picks are getting minus 300s and minus You're 400s. not sure you know for a fact. I know for a fact that they're getting minus 300s. When have we ever given you one? We've given you minus 135s, minus 110s, Max Bet Randy Browns, minus 130 Alex White, uh, minus 180 Davi Ramos. We're giving you shit that Not you can to mention play. all the dogs. Exactly. We're giving you shit that you can actually play. We're giving You know, so, you know, um, thanks for all the support, but uh, let's get into this uh, fight to watch and fighter to watch. Yes, sir. So let's talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. The so Shaq. What is the fight to watch for UFC Winnipeg? You know, the fight to watch is simple in my opinion. It's Mike Perry and Ponzinibbio. Who's taking a canvas nap first? Because both men are known for dishing canvas naps out. Perry's got a 100% KO rate, so we know if he wins, 
a motherfucker's going out cold. Pons and EBL wins. We're going to see, you know, the dirty Argentine tactics, the eye pokes, followed by a KO. And I'm a fan of both guys, you know. I've gained a lot of respect for Perry in the last couple weeks because, I mean, that power is absolutely ridiculous. I'm, I see the faces guys make when they get hit by this guy. So, you know, I'm very interested to see the, the face of that Ponzinibbio. Is Ponzinibbio just on a different level? Because, you know, you know, his one over Gunny Nelson, a lot of people didn't see that coming. He was lying like plus 170, and he sh- didn't shock the world. But, you know, he, he took care of business. So I'm seeing if he uh, if he moves up until that uh, fights like a Kamaru or, you know, something like that. I mean, dude, I, I can't disagree with you on this one. The fight to watch obviously is Mike Perry over Santiago Ponzinibbio, two of the premier KO artists at 170 pounds. Like you said, 100% KO rate in his wins for Mike Perry. And Genchi Boa Santiago Ponzinibbio has been looking better than ever, man. And I want to see if he's able to utilize that fucking eye poke game against a guy like Mike Perry. And also, I want to see if Mike Perry can counter Santiago when he overextends on a straight, right? And catch him with a counter left hook and knock him out. So, the winner of this fight, man, it's going to be only top 10 fights from here on out. And they're only a couple fights away, believe it or not, from a UFC title shot. So, Shaq, who is the fighter to watch for UFC Winnipeg? My fighter to watch is going to be Josh Emmett because, I mean, when you get opportunities like this, and like I said earlier, I truly believe that he has the model to beat a guy like Lamas. I feel like he has the rights or he was brought up in the route surroundings. We're talking about a guy that's been training at Team Alpha Male since day one. Like you said on the Countdown Show, he's seen Benavidez start his career and work to the, the, to the guy he is now. He's seen Faber, you know, build his way up. He's seen all these guys growing up. Mendez, Lamas, I mean, not Lamas, uh, Castillo, TJ, all these guys at Alpha Male. He's seen all of them get their chance and, you know, succeed. And now he has the opportunity to go and do that against Ricardo Lamas, who I said is one of the greatest featherweights of all time. I mean, Lamas is a badass. I mean, I was a fan of this guy when he knocked out Benny Casimir with that flying knee. So, I mean, Lamas is a legend in my eyes, and Emmett has the chance of a lifetime. I mean, the number three guy in the world, short notice, nothing to lose. So I'm interested to see if he gets it done. 100%, man. And look, my fighter to watch is Alessio DiCirico. And it's not just the fact that we have money on him, but look, it's currently lined to pick him. And I, I have a feeling that this has the potential to become a showcase fight. And for that reason, when you see a pick him and you think that it's going to be one-sided, you know, if he weathers that first three-round minute storm of Oluwale Bangbozi, he's going to absolutely break him and run away with it. So... I can't wait to see that. I think he's going to come out here, get his first UFC finish. For that reason, Alessio DiCirico is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down this Saturday a little bit earlier than usual for everyone tuning in. Make sure you guys know that it is going to start a little bit earlier. I, I believe 3 p.m. Eastern time for the first fight pass prelim. You know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. man? It's that early. So, uh, yeah, definitely be tuning in. Make sure you follow Shaq at MMA Genius 5 Shaq, any message for him before we go? Thanks for the support. Gonna you know next week. Stay tuned. Big play coming. I mean, e- I'm not gonna say easy money, but it's gonna cash. So stay tuned for that. Follow me on my Instagram TSM underscore bets because that's where I post, you know, my bets when I first make them. Uh, my Capertech is tsmgenius.capertech.com. Um, so you know, just follow me and thanks for all the support. Yes, sir. Follow me at Best Fight Picks. Go to bestfightpicks.com for the play. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Hook up those five-star reviews. 
And Shaq and I are going to be back next week. And, you know, like we said, biggest play of the year coming up. I cannot wait. I got to end the year with a bang. And also, in case you guys didn't know, I've been third-party track for, like, the last three years. So you can go, you know, see my winning record on betmma.tips, on Capertech. Just find best fight picks. I'm up there. And, you know, I know there's a bunch of these frauds with these fucking fake 11-unit bets and shit like that. You, that's why, like, I'm ranked, you know, 23 on there instead of number one. It is what it is. I mean, there are, there are a couple of legit guys on there. I'm talking a little shit. But bottom line is when you look at my record you're not going to see any padding you're not going to see any fake shit you're only going to see a hundred percent real handicapping that's what we bring to the table so until the next time let's cash these bets